All right, welcome back. This is Nevermind the Podcast. Uh, I don't even know what number episode this All is. All day with this. <laughs> we don't know which number this is going to be. It's going to be five or six. So, hey, welcome back to Nevermind the Podcast, episode six. Hey, welcome back to Nevermind the Podcast. Number five. Episode five. Um, so today's today's topic is the the second album by Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Um, this is going to be also a different uh, aspect from our point of view because we have a guest today. Um, we're going to start having some special guests here and there. This album... Um, Came out in 1993, right? Yeah, released in the summer of 93, um, produced by Butch Vig, who also produced the first record, Gish. Was it on DCG? What was the label? They Virgin. were on Virgin? Um, Virgin Records, yeah. They're, I think both, I think Geffen was the first record. No, it was the Carolina which is the lower version. Like subs- subsidiary. Of, right, right, right. Of... That's when all that stuff was happening yes. back then. That's where, yeah, we talked about that before, where it was like you didn't know who's yeah. who owned what, but smaller, somebody bigger. Owned, it was yeah. alternative college <coughs> rock, right? So I think they were on Sub Pop for a second at the moment for a single. They they're their first single, or the something. first single, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so anyway, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, um, pretty much, you know, in the grunge world, it's a really important record and. In my particular world, I'm already becoming an, a young adult, and my brother here, he's graduating from high school, and it's his senior year of high school, or the year you graduated high school. If it came out in the summer of 93, I was already you, out You just school. graduated, and then this album comes out. Yeah. And then, um, so our guest today, Briar Garcia, I don't know if you want to talk about your coffee shop, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or just your name. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I'll leave it up my name. And it's funny because Brian and I were neighbors uh, a couple years ago for about four years. We were neighbors. And just... Pasadena? Be- South Pass. South Pass, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We were, we were neighbors in South Pasadena. And at the last place you lived at? Yeah, yeah. He was he lived right out in the right at the end, like when you first woke up. Right. We're at the but opposite like, end of the building. Though. I think up Man, one. whoever moved into... Remember when for rent they were renting the little tiny the closet. Crawl space? Oh, dude, that the dude closet. is still I there. I thought about moving there. Really? That dude is still there. He loves oh. it. <laughs> he? Like that nothing. was the guy that was stealing my utilities. Yep. And he was loving every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Briar and I had met in a really weird circumstance. Uh, I, we hadn't actually formally met. And I woke up one morning... And I just saw his, I recognized his car. He, you know, I, I, we'd seen each other in passing, but we never actually stopped and spoke. And this was like fucking like 6 a.m. And I just see this car wrapped in saran wrap with eggs all over it. And I'm like, I'm all looking at it. I really couldn't, because I'm, you know, my apartment's like up a floor. So it's a single story, but it's on the second floor. And I'm like looking down, I'm like. That doesn't look like something somebody would That's do to their, own, like, <laughs> to their own fucking car. That's some weird kind of wax job. Yeah, so yeah. I fucking, I'm like, man, I got to go fucking tell this guy. Don't even know his name. <laughs> and I'm all banging the shit out of his yeah. door at 6. How'd you know what door? Because I'd seen him walk up. But and how'd you know that was his car? I'd seen him drive home. He's very observant. Uh, I, that's when I, I realized he's very that's observant. That's some serial killer shit. <laughs> Serious, right? <laughs> Yo, man, I know you like green pants. <laughs> yeah. I, I lived in the front. I saw everybody who came in. 
and I recognized mm. that it was his car and where he lived. It could have actually he had a twin car on the block. It could have been. Oh uh, yeah, remember that dude? And I think it, I think back about it. I think that that was meant for his car. I not agree. Because who would have fucking known no. you? I was there for one year. Yeah, maybe nine months. So I'm banging on his door. It's like six a.m. He like doesn't even go to the door. He opens the window. And he's yeah. like. Hello? I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry to wake you, but some shit's going on with your car. <laughs> he's like, what? what? And he's like, what the fuck? And so he comes out, and we go down there, and sure enough, it was freshly cracked eggs. Yep. And then they saran wrapped it. On top mm-hmm. of it. And I was like, that's fucked up. The yeah, sun's going to hit that and cook that egg into yep. your paint. Which is what was the intention. Fuck it up. Mm, yeah. You know? So that's how we met. And then, you know, becoming like casual, you know, uh, building acquaintances. Yeah. acquaintances, we started talking about music. You know, music was a was an easy thing to start get us talking, and then we started talking about eggs. Eggs, no. <laughs> then we started talking about like where we grew up, and then we started sharing stories and finding out we had actually been to the same shows, yep. been to the same people's houses. Yep. Um, we went to a wedding ceremony yeah. that we that's really random and have never. Nope. Having oh, yeah, met. I was saying that you went to Jesse's. Jesse's. Wedding, right? How do you know Jesse? So ex-girlfriend uh, was best friends with his now wife. Oh, okay. So then I ran with that crew, which was part of the Long Beach crew. There was always like dudes that worked, hung out at bars. The whole bar scene on 4th Street, Broadway yeah. was a thing, as you know. <laughs> and you just start to know everybody. Yeah. So the next you know, I'm like friends with those guys too for years. So then went to their wedding at Alex's bar. And Alex's yeah, bar. he was there. He was there too. Oh, dang. Yeah, yeah. We were both. That's why I was that's saying. That's so random. Yeah. Super random. That's why I was saying it was like such a weird. Well, that's how he was there because he's. I was there with you. With me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. crazy. I was just there to party. So you were there like there. as an associate. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so you were like third party. With, like, like Jesse was in like the Teen Heroes. And, yes, like, and that's where I knew him real from. Real big fish people. Uh, that's crazy. I knew him from Teen Heroes, not as a friend, but I was like, hey, that dude is in Teen Heroes. And then the other dude. Uh, Ike? I, no, not Ike. Well, I knew Ike, yeah. Um, but uh, what was the other dude? From keyboard Teen player, Heroes. yeah, from Teen Heroes. I was actually really good friends with him because of his wife as well. I what was that guy's name? Right Josh or, anyways, I knew yeah. all those dudes. That's so it's Small World, or yeah, Long Beach became this thing where it was always running into people who knew other people. Oh, yeah, and yeah. No matter just, where you go, no matter where I was, man. So yeah, yeah, and it was like you know, the the most random act of you know somebody vandalizing a car <laughs> sparks this like. <laughs> You know, becoming aware of each other and then becoming like, you know, becoming more aware of each other beyond acquaintances, becoming friends and like actually hanging out, listening to records like, you know, yeah. you know, you and your wife have been here yeah. when I've had my record parties when I have you. And it's like, so anyway, so he's our guest. Hi. <laughs> and uh, this was actually this was actually his pick. This album, it's pro- he says it's one of his favorite records. Um, personally, Gish is. Uh, a higher on the favorite chart for me for this particular band but there was something that I was watching um, not too long ago I'm I'm sure you're probably aware of this but I was just talking to my brother about it the and they didn't record it at um, Smart Sound but but Butch Vig who produced Gish and also produced this record who also produced Nevermind that when Butch Vig was talking about creating the studio in Wisconsin 
um, where they recorded Gish, they actually were laying down the foundation for the soundscape for Nevermind. So when you go back and you listen to Nevermind, and then you listen to this record, there's a lot of the the sonic sound is the same. Like you know what I mean? Like it's they built that. Oh, 100 percent. And um, <clears throat> and so like you can see where the progression was going to go. I don't know much about this band after this record. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the funny part about that is this was their first major rec- or label, right? Mm-hmm. Release. Top 10, Billboard. Then they went on to do Melancholy, which ended up being a double album. Mm-hmm. And that actually did 10 times more, more popularity, had more singles because it was double the amount of music. Gotcha. Uh, at that actually not only was nominated for Grammys, but actually won Grammys. Uh, oh, so, wow. Yeah, so that album was bigger than Siamese, but Siamese, as always, is always the, a record that puts people on the map. So that was our Let's Get Them on the Map record. Right. And that was also the record that kind of distinctly made them what their sound was going to be. Yeah. Well, so. I think that's that's in a lot of, you know, like in the music industry and just bands in particular, whether at any level... They always they call it like the sophomore slump where it's like okay go. first band comes out they put out a debut. Um, I remember being aware of Smashing Pumpkins in high school with Gish. Um, the first thing that that caught my attention was just the name. It was like what does that even mean? Like I <laughs> like a lot of times a band's name will give you an idea, totally some kind of imagery of what they're gonna sound like. And then when I heard that name, I was like, I don't what the fuck does that even mean? Like I. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you're like smashing pumpkins or was it, are they British? Is it like, oh, these pumpkins are smashing. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't make any sense to me. Love it. And but then you bought. Like is Gallagher going to come out and start hammering it? It Watermelons and pumpkins. It was strange. And then I remember you had the, um, it was like a CD EP that came out. I think it came out after Gish, but it sounded like Gish where it was like, it was like, like almost, almost like Soundgarden, like guitar riffs, yeah. you know, but with like this different type of vo- voice. And I remember liking, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I, it's, it's heavy, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard rock. Um, and then, um, so basically like, you know, a band puts out and gets, starts to garner some attention with their debut, debut album. And then sophomore, like almost in, Every time you look at, like, you could look at Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin 2, their first album was like, man, they're on the map. Led Zeppelin 2, it's like, all right, this band's here to stay. I think with Siamese Dream, like, not that it didn't matter what they were going to do after, but it was like they planted their flag with this album. And it was like they... It's not so much that... I. This is my opinion. I don't think that... It's not that they didn't have their own sound completely but they kind of did in a way you know what I mean like to me I hear a lot of uh what was going on at the same time with like like bands like Helmet and bands like Tar and Surgery you know all the touch and go stuff like at this time there was like you know the Melvins and um the Dicks and like uh what's that other uh like uh just you know that Chicago like um amphetamine reptile records you know like on uh, they're from minneapolis like just that heavy heart of the of the country really tough sound you know but it also like sounds like my bloody valentine 
like well, the way he's singing. You that's know? exactly if you were to ask Billy Corgan what his influences were. His biggest one was The Cure, mm-hmm. just because he was in this dark state of mind. Yeah. Depression, anxiety, and The Cure was his go-to dark music. That was, I think, everybody's in that time, yeah. if you were old enough to <clears throat> enjoy that or not. Yeah. Uh, and then My Bloody Valentine, and of course, uh, you had other bands that were influencing very small indie rock bands. Mm-hmm. My Bloody Valentine was way ahead of their time. They That album came out, I think, in 89. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to this day, it holds up as an amazing record. And Jesus and Mary Chain... 85 psychedelia had come out six years before that and nobody really gave a rat's ass about that album yeah and now it's getting more attention than it's ever has mm-hmm. and you know and slow dive was another band that was mixed yeah. into that so we considered that album like if you were to go to billboard charts or rolling still magazine spin magazine all of them would say yeah that siamese dream album was like grunge and it did i'm like it was not grunge at all no it was in the grunge era Mm-hmm. That is 100% accurate. Nevermind had just come out. You have 10. You have Soundgarden. You have Stone Temple Pilots. Basically, Alice in Chains. Chains. Yeah. All those guys were just driving the force of what music was in the 90s and building it up to what it was going to be. But they just happened to be in the mix of all that melting pot. Yeah. So then they just got categorized as grunge. But then it's like, nah, man, that's not grunge at all. That's like metal guitars with like very easygoing vocals and you know whiny kind of sounds and yeah it was like dream poppy almost at certain mm-hmm. parts of it like soma track number seven like super dreamy yeah but you know it's you know it's funny like <clears throat> in intis- you know some of these albums i don't have like i knew most of this album i knew most of the songs that i liked um the ones that i tend to like more are they sound a lot like what came out on gish and when I was like, oh, you know what? I need to go back and listen to this record before, you know, prepping for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I put it on. I start from the beginning and I'm listening to the first out, the first track, uh, Cherub Rock. And I'm like, I would have I would not have put that as the first track. I would have done the Geek USA as the first track mm-hmm. because it's just a harder driving song. Cool. It gets you ready. But when I went back and I listened to it again, I was like, you know, what's funny about Cherub Rock is it starts off kind of hard. And then it just lulls you into this, like, it's almost like you're, like, it's, like, setting you up for what this whole album is going to be. 100%. So you're, like, you're getting hit with this, like, hard drive, and then you just get lulled into this weird, like, you're just floating in this, like, meadowy. It's the best accurate you know, description. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, that's why it's so smart to put this as the first track, because yeah. it's basically giving you the blueprint for what the rest of this album is going to be. Mm-hmm. And there's not that many bands that do that. They always put, like we were talking earlier in a different episode about the formula used to be the third track is the hit. Like, I don't know what the opener would be in that formula. It's always something grabby, some some attention getter. This was like, like my theory is this happened like post, like in like the 2000s when it was like, okay, like, like an, like a band like Modest Mouse. It's like, you look at a Modest Mouse record, a Shins record, and like a even something bigger like a no doubt record that right. you know and it's like it's almost every single time or even like suede number three that's the fucking hit well even <laughs> it's I like mean, ended up being today today is, is today track is three, three which yeah. fits into that formula and it was the biggest single mm-hmm. off yeah. of that record and yeah. it's like and like i was saying like you know my own personal because 
also, you th- when you're thinking about the this era of sequencing, this was sequenced for a CD purchase. Yeah, not a record. Correct. This wasn't sequenced no. to flip. You weren't flipping this. Nope. So they didn't have a side A, side B no. mentality. It was like, how are we going to... And this is, you know, 13 tracks. So, like, sequencing 13 songs with a mindset of this is going to go into a digital player and people are going to listen to this literally front to back or top to bottom. You know what's crazy thinking about that now, too, is how fast time was moving back then. Um, it seems like everything's moving really fast now, but yeah. it moved just as fast then. We just don't really pay that much attention to it. But I remember, like, at this time, buying lots of, like, there was bands like Fugazi was always putting on records. 100%. There's always records. Mm-hmm. There's still CDs in stores, but there's a vinyl section, and there's going to be Discord, and there's going to be seven inches from, like, independent mm-hmm. bands, you yep. know? We were talking earlier about, like, merge records, you know, like Super Chunk and, like, all these Amazing. acts. Once you get to these bigger bands, it's like, I remember, because I was also working in the warehouse. There was no records there. It was CDs. But it was like Siamese Dream was like on CD. Uh, mm-hmm. 10 by Pearl Jam. Like, I don't even, I think you, if they even put those out on vinyl, you had to really search for them. But you fast forward to, I think it's Pearl Jam versus, and I remember Melancholy. Then it was like, it was almost like a big deal that these big acts, major labels, were putting out vinyl. Like, That's, it was special. Yeah. Yeah. But all this time, there were labels still putting out. They never stopped they putting never out stopped, vinyl. Yeah. It was just because, oh, well... You know, that's when all the subsidiary labels just saw that this ain't working. We don't really know where this is going. It's all about CDs and fuck all this music because we don't know how to market it or whatever. Or it's never going to be big enough. It's very true. You know, and if you look at like how we're talking about like Smashing Pumpkins, maybe someone that had never heard of their roots thinking that it just kind of dropped out of nowhere. Kind of like with Nirvana. It's like Nirvana's, it's Green River. It's Mud Honey. It's culmination of all of their peers and then they just not even that they did it the best it was just that it finally came to this i think uh i mean you nailed it like we i couldn't have picked a better era to be at that age because i was very aware what was happening i wasn't like a little kid but I wasn't old enough to be in what I've already liked yeah so i was already a stubborn dude that already i only like this kind of (laughs) music it was a perfect age where you're kind of like finding what kind of music you're into. Yeah. Yeah. Impressionable. Like you're very much like kind of figuring things out. You're a teenager. You're getting out of like that age into the adulthood. So you're trying to figure out music and it was perfect. So for me, yeah. Listening to Nevermind, listening to the first Soundgarden album, like it was incredible to put those on for the first time. And my biggest memory, which is why the Simon Stream album is so just emphatically my favorite was buying that CD. I remember buying Rollins Band and The Silence, Helmet Meantime, and this record. And going home from Sam Goody. And <laughs> yeah, and the rec and you know, the CD was this big because it gave you that yeah, yeah. casing. Yeah, yeah. I just bought a CD player, put this record on, put some headphones on, and the layers of those guitars, the way the drum roll starts on Cherub Rock, mm-hmm. it just leads you exactly what you said, Chris. Like it leads you right into like what's gonna happen introductory and then the layers of it was just like almost like music melting down the side of your face like mm-hmm. it was insane i'd never heard that many guitars layered on a track that sounded that clear i'd heard it before but not at that clarity right so for me it was like whoa what is going on here and then when you get to track seven soma 
and if you really like listen to the, the slow parts and then the heavy parts, there's 40 guitars layered on that track. That's no. insane. Yeah. That's incredible to me. We were and trying to find 19. them earlier. We were, I yeah. think we found like about 27. We were, <laughs> we were trying to listen to them like, what is 40 overdubs? Right. Well, and the crazy thing you is Billy Corgan <laughs> says 40 and Butch Vig says over 100. No. So, which I don't hear 100. I don't, but... See, and this is this is where it gets really important because what we what what we talk about on this podcast too, it's not it's it's about obviously it's about music, but it's about the art of making records and the art of making records that will stand the test of time, which this is one of those, and which I didn't know like Butch Vig, um, I didn't know that he produced this. I didn't know. I mean, it makes sense now listening to it. Um, if he did Gish, never mind. The other thing where it's like, it's almost like he's, they're growing together. So it's like anything that Butch Vig learned prior to Gish and then with Gish and then never mind. At this one, it's just like that motherfucker is just on fire. Hell yeah. So he is also bringing this added element to what these people can do in the studio. You know, because the way I see Smashing Pumpkins, I see a guy that knows how to write really good songs, um, great guitar player, but not like flashy, but like has like a good like we were talking kind of comparing him to like some of some of like Jimi Hendrix, like just riffing, you know, yeah. some some of that sonically gets really good sounds out of that guitar. Um, James Eha, I I do like his approach to just being the second guitar player. And he's you know? really good at it. Yeah. And then for me, even if I wasn't a drummer, it's like Jimmy Chamberlain is standout. He's fucking top Dude, notch. He's just classically amazing jazz, drummer. Yeah. So you know his technicalities are there. Dude, the, what I like, what I fell in love with too when I first actually saw the band, because even like seeing them, they... They just look weird, you know? Kind of like Jesus and Mary Chain look fucking yeah, totally. like weirdos. Like the Cocteau Twins. You got these weirdo, like, hairdos, yeah. and, like, they're not trying to be but a the band. Jesus, But the Jesus and Mary Chain almost come out of that goth. So, like, you knew what goth was. Right. And the Jesus and Mary Chain was like, oh, they look like they came out of the goth, but they don't They look like goth, goth rejects. Right. That's there what I'm go. saying. Like Goth rejects. But you still had something to, com- to associate with. This yeah. band... That's what I'm like, saying. They the, look like freaks. They were just... They Identity didn't look like a place. band. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> they <laughs> look like a movie version of a band. They look like uh, extras on singles, <laughs> like the movie singles. It was just yeah. like really randomly Yeah, like dudes. the kids <laughs> way in the back right. were just like all quiet. And like, yeah. the other thing I'm thinking about right now, too, because we're talking about like Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins, like they really had to have... Once they got into that spotlight had to have a lot of courage as far as like when Nirvana had it, they had a whole like scene behind them that they could just fit in with. Smashing Pumpkins, they didn't really have like a home. Like they came from Chicago. Like what did people even think of Chicago back then if you weren't hip to like the underground, which I'm sure they did have contemporary. I'm sure they played with the Jesus Lizard and played shows with the Melvins. I mean, they had to, you know, they had to play with fucking, uh, what's, what's his, uh, shellac and shit like that. You know what I mean? Steve Albini um, bands, yeah. But since none of those bands, even like Super Chunk, Super Chunk should be huge, but they're, they're not, they're not, they're you not. know, but it's like Smashing Pumpkins by the time they got out there, it was like, well, we can't really say Chicago's the new Seattle because there's just one band. There's only big band. Yeah. But they, 
took it. They took that and ran with it and turned into, you know, a band that was, that will always be relevant, you know, just because of this record, if anything. To, to that your, takes a lot of fucking balls, you know, like, it's to, crazy. Yeah, to your point about, like, um, what Butch Vig was doing and just that he basically struck gold, bef- like, them walking, like, Billy Corgan and the company walking into the studio that they picked to record this album was like, Butch Vig had the blueprint all just down. And <clears throat> he, I was, I watched this video of him, like, uh, I think it's Guitar Center, has all these, like, little clips on YouTube where they talk about, like, they'll just take a musician, they'll either talk about a song or they'll just talk about something since garbage isn't really, he doesn't really talk about garbage in the same way he talks about his production. He was saying that he, I think they recorded Nevermind in like a week or two weeks or something. Yeah, it was quick. And he was at a backyard barbecue. Billy Corgan was at the backyard barbecue, and and the the other his other partner, the Steve guy from Garbage, I don't know his last name. I don't know if you know who his last last no, name. No, um, but they are the ones who built the studio together in Wisconsin. And he was like, "Yeah, we had this tape. There was a boombox at the backyard party. We had this tape of the Nevermind album." And I don't know if he said he played the whole album or if he just played Smells Like Teen Spirit. But he put the tape on, pushed play, and he said nobody spoke, nobody ate, nobody did shit. They just all just were stunned by what they were hearing. And he wasn't he didn't think of it as that big of a deal. He didn't he didn't grasp what he had done with this record. Mm-hmm. And he said that everyone just everyone and I think it sounded like he only played one song because he said that after the song was over Everyone was just like, can you play that again? You know, like, put that, put <laughs> right. put it back on. And they all just did the same thing. They just sat there and, listened. and just listened. And he was talking about, like, putting Nevermind out there, put him on the radar. Everybody was just calling him, like, you did Nevermind. He didn't even know who these people were. Mm-hmm. But he had already developed that with, with... And Billy Corgan had a lot to do with the production. He was very meticulous about how oh, he... Yeah. The, how he, he the escaped producer, the sound. Basically. Yeah, he was the second producer. He's the second producer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when they were creating the sound and this is like this, I, I don't know much about, like I said, I think Pisces Iscariot, I think I know like two tracks. Yeah, so that was the B-sides. After this record. After this record. So the record itself was intentional, but Billy Corgan was basically obsessed about the Siamese Dream success, what it did, how he made it. I mean, he went into complete depression. Disarm, the song, Disarm, uh, track six, he is talking about how he basically had given up on life Mm. and he had sold a lot of his belongings and was ready to just end it and he was planning his funeral already. So he was done. And Siamese Dream was his, like, showmanship, like, I'm going to go out on a big... This is my best record I've ever made, second record, so I'm going to go out on, on this limb. Uh-huh. And uh, when it did what it did, he was like, I think I can do better. <laughs> right? That's just like that kind of mentality, yeah, rock star, yeah. and like a genius, and just somebody who knows who they are. So after he came out of that dark place, he made Pisces and said, I want to put more of this record out of Siamese Dream. So all those are B-sides. And so this is record. like his smile, his Brian exactly. Wilson smile. Like, and it wasn't pressure. Is that that? Is That's that kind of the, the same thing. Well, he his, the single off of that album wasn't even his. It was uh, Fleetwood Mac. 
Oh, is it? Yeah. Which, that, which, which record? Uh, Pisces. Oh. Yeah. Well, so, that I don't even know. No, I was saying, but is that kind of like Nirvana when they put out Insecticide? Because I don't know anything about that record. Yeah, so Insecticide was the same like thing. Like, it was a random, nobody gave stuff. a shit about Insecticide. It was like B-sides. And I remember, oh, I remember sitting. stuff on that. Yeah, and it had some good stuff. But I remember being in my friend's, like, bedroom, like, high as shit. And, mm-hmm. like, listening to it going, like, Man, dude, this record is so good. Nobody cares about this record. Mm-hmm. Everybody just cared about popularity, right? And the Nirvana wave had kind of left already. And so it was just there. It was just like good music that nobody cared about. It went back to like your Mud Honeys and your Super Chunks who keep putting good music out and nobody cared. Yeah. They're under the radar. Yeah. Under the radar. And there's always going to be those bands that are like the sidekick bands that are so good basically help that band get to the next level and then they never get big. And then after Pi- replacements. After Pisces they did the double album. The double album. And so I was at um That's the one where he he lost his all his hair throughing all that. <laughs> he was bald headed. Was, was he bald headed before? <laughs> no, no I dude. I, he had, he like had long hair. Long orange long hair. hair. On Gish he had long hair. On this record I thought it was cut. He had it shorter was hair cut. but it was still uh, long. Okay. I remember seeing them on on Saturday Night Live, yep. they played Cherub Rock and they played Today. And uh, I think that's that might have been the first time I actually <clears throat> watched. Because I, I never them. saw them live. Yeah. But I was like, man, they're like a band that they don't have to look the part of anything. No. It's just they're playing and they fucking like destroyed. Like those songs, you know, again, like I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Um but it's fucking undeniable. You know, they fucking played the shit out of those songs. They sounded fucking great. Um, that's kind of like that last... To me, I feel like that's that last era of, like, even bands on Saturday Night Live actually sounding good. Because, you know, I mean, you know what it is now. It's just fucking crap. But um, I just remember being taken by, like, you know, like, Man, I couldn't even imagine if I was in that room, I would, I would be blown away. Yeah. You know, I was blown away watching it. Right. You know? On TV. Yeah, and it was like it was just immaculate playing. Like, but at the same time, it wasn't like, you know, sometimes things could be too calculated. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rush, but I'm not really a big fan of um, them live because live it's just them reproducing. Like, it's like Neil Peart has to make sure that every single Did hit you is ever where go it see is. Him live? No. I um, went to the and like sh- for me, like I don't like that. Like I like it I when you. it's about the moment, the energy. There's something about that. I yeah. went to a rush show. I got free tickets through. Ooh, you were carried, didn't you? The forum. Yeah, it was at oh, the wow. forum, and, and it was when the warehouse used to. We used to when I worked at the warehouse. It was the Presto tour. We used to get comp tickets to shows, wow. and our manager, like there was a few of us in the in the worked in the store that got dibs on all these things, you know, and like. <laughs> Carrie got Carrie was the guy to get dibs on everything. And Carrie's he's like, a rush freak. And he's all, you want to go, you know, come with me to rush. And I'm all, okay. <laughs> like, Mr. I think it was the firm or Mr. Big. No, Mr. Big Mr. Opened. Big, probably, yeah. And, and I just went to get party. You know, that was all. My whole agenda was just a party. Yeah. And we get there, and I am and I think I have my girlfriend with me. So it was like. That's probably the only girl in there. Three of us. <laughs> just all dudes. And Long hair dudes, yeah. It, I had never been so bored in my entire life. Really, I would have rather watched an opera singer whoa sing in a in like 
some language that I've never heard. <laughs> like, just a bad opera singer. So just not good. Like, it just no, they were amazing. Okay, but it was so boring. It was okay. like. I know how I love their records. It's right. like watching totally. someone do a math problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like they I'm just. I'm impressed by the answer, but yeah. I don't like you the know process. It, and you uh, know what yeah. it is? Is that they're so good, they don't connect with anybody there. They're just like. In their zone. Come and see us perform I gotcha. this, you know, and there's a, there's an audience for that. There's, there's like a like, genius factor behind yeah, it. Yeah. And I'm like, they were so good. And my friend is a geek. He geeked out on them. He was having the greatest time of his life and i'm just sitting there i think i actually fell asleep if Whoa. i remember correctly i think wait how old were you what was i 20 was like two years ago <laughs> I was, <laughs> it was rush reunion i was yeah. probably 20 wow so you're a young dude this and is probably around the same concerts? time yeah. this is around the 90 like 92 yeah it was right in that era yeah because that's when they put out presto it was late late yeah, 80s it was probably you know, like it, was, no, it was 90 because i i didn't start working there until the winter of 89 it was because okay. we both worked there with the same guy we're talking about but we didn't work we didn't work there together got it and that's when i was getting out of high school well, so I was that fired. had to be around 93 <laughs> <laughs> i was fired from that job yeah, that was when I had that, that record of just like... I think it's dope that all three of us worked at a record. I worked at Tower Records. <laughs> oh, really? So, Which one? The one in Lakewood? Uh, the one, uh, the WoW store in Long Beach. Oh, oh the okay. big one. Yeah, the big one. I remember when oh, that was brand new. We used to go yeah, there all 1999 time. to 2001. We went through later, but it was still dope, man. That was like a trip for us because we were <laughs> close was. to the Lakewood one, but sometimes we would be like, um, we would be like, hey... Let's go to the Wild. Lakewood was dope. If you wanted to go to the Divey Tower Records, yeah, on but, South Street, well, yeah, yeah. We went there because they rented movies. Mm-hmm. I think the big one did too, but it was just so much more convenient oh, dude, to go was... to the Lakewood one. It's like the little tiny store had the video side, had the record side, and then it had that back weird room. Dude, it was amazing. Yeah. The listening room with the, the listening vinyl. Room. Yeah, the listening yeah, room. Yeah, it was. It was pretty dope. It was like the '90s, just kept in a nice, beautiful case. <laughs> I loved it and. It's so funny because I worked at two, three record stores. I got fired. From, I got I fired at all. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how all the movies do, right? Um, but when I was when I was originally, my thought process was I was talking about the the these albums in in their order. So I I know 1979 is on Melancholy. And yes, that's the only song I know that on it. And it's the only song I like. And I remember walking into my friend's house. I think he was super excited because he had his, it was my friend's younger brother. He was super excited that he was going to impress me by having this, this double CD. And so he comes, so I'm like, I'm hanging out with my friend and he's like, Hey, Hey, I got the new Smashing Pumpkin CD. And I looked at him like, yeah, so yeah, what? So and, what? <laughs> and he's like, have you heard it? And I'm all Nah, man, I I don't want to hear it. And he was like, "Come on, sit in here." It was it was my this little, record. No, 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 melancholy. melancholy. Oh yeah, He was like all hyped that he was that I was coming over, and he he was so hyped. He told Hatem like, "Man, I can't wait till Chris gets here because I want him to be impressed that I have this mm-hmm. CD." And I couldn't care less. And he he put it on. I don't even know that I could look up the tracks, but the first. Things that I heard, I was, and then I get what's the big hit besides seventy nine? Shoot, I should know this off of my But yeah, it was the first single. It's like a, it's like a. Man. It almost sounds like orchestrated. Yes. And he put it on, and I was like, "Dude, this is fucking whack!" And I was like, so upset. <laughs> like, and just I, not feeling it. <laughs> and I think it was. I don't remember what year it came out, but I think I ninety. 
five, I believe. It took a while for that one, right? Yeah, it? it was. I remember it well, being. He a had gap. a. It was ninety five, I believe. Ninety five. Yeah, and he had. I guess it was thirty two. Tra- thirty two tracks. Yeah, and he had a lot of that. The moment when he was touring already on Siamese, he was writing a lot of that already. And he was finding his identity now as like, this is the type of band we're going to go towards now. Uh, okay. The thing so I remember about that um, album, I think they had one video that was kind of all dreamy looking and they were wearing like makeup. That's what they were going towards. Yeah. yeah and yep, it kind yep. of looked like the album artwork. Yep. Correct. And that's when it was like, I mean, I, I didn't really, I never had that much interest in them altogether. But I did kind of be like, I was like, well, this is this is weird that like before they they didn't even look like a band. And then like that time I saw them on Saturday Night Live, they still didn't kind of look like a band. Right. But it was like, you know, they I, re, I liked that they weren't trying to like, you know, like to me, like this is when I think when I think of things that really bother me, like when I was uh, maybe maybe around that time. I remember buying a lot of like punk rock records, but at the same time, a lot of like, I guess, and kind of Smashing Pumpkins was contemporary with like, you know, the like emo stuff. You it know, was like, like Jawbreaker. Yeah, totally. Jawbox. Yeah. But then I was also buying, like, I remember buying the first Rancid record, like on totally. Epitaph. Yeah. And um, I liked it. It was like kind of like street punk, kind of oi. And then on the back of the album, it's like they just look like East Bay punks, like skate yeah, kids, totally. you know, wearing hoodies. And then their next record comes out and they're all covered in fucking tattoos. Right. Money. It's like, what happened money there? Now. You know, yeah. it's like, to me, like when I see shit like, or even like, like Blinkwood 82, you were talking about Travis Barker. Like they were another one of those bands that just look like little kids at the mall. And right. then all of a sudden he's got tattoos all over his body. Mm. It's like, and Cadillac's you can't just have fucking ass. tattoos. Like one day you have nothing and then now you're just covered. It's right. like to me that's just like it's could kind be, of fraudulent. But it, but it could be like, it could be perception too. It's fucking lame, it's what it is. Right, but I'm saying it could be just a perception because he could have always wanted them and never could afford them. And now that he has a job where all yes. he has to do is get up and play music at five o'clock at night. Yeah, but I think and I think it, it is like finding like, identity and this, that, and the other. Yeah. It, it is like it's, a timing thing and then he just I think it's bananas. both, but I think like if you're think about like if you're on tour, you've been on tour. And you ain't got nothing better to do during the day. And there's every town you go to, you just get a tattoo. You can literally cover yourself up from one tour. Like one year. Yeah. You but know. sometimes it's like the imagery. It's just like, but with them, it's like it, it still didn't kind of make sense. Because I think they right. just looked weird. I think the way that you're looking at it is that it looks manufactured. Exactly. After the fact. There you so go. like they came out, didn't give a fuck. And now on their fourth record. Is uh, Melancholy their fourth? That record? was their, technically their fourth because the B sides. Right. Pisces, so, yeah. Well, Third it's because you see, like. Then it looks like, oh, wait, <clears throat> now they're a manufactured band. Yeah. But I think a lot of bands went through that. Yeah, but a lot of bands, it's the reverse. Like, you look at The Who. The Who started out, they're a mod band. They were wearing, right. they're fucking decked suits. out. Then they get to a point where they're just like, fucking. Don't care. They just weren't jumpsuits. Yeah. It's like, I'm fucking tired of this shit. It's yeah. just about the music. Like the opposite. You know? Yeah, you know? So it's like, that's why to me, like seeing the Smashing Pumpkins, like at by Siamese Dream, it's cool that they didn't know what they were, but right. musically, it didn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like they were just making good music. Yeah, you know? That's all that mattered. Yeah. And, and um, I think the only thing that happened, well, I think the biggest thing that happened is at that time, at least I, I do remember a lot of the performances being on MTV. Mm. And I think 
that shit still mattered then. Oh yeah, you that was I mean? huge. So yeah. like, and I'm sure they had people telling like, totally you like you guys need to step it up and dress a little, like be more cohesive and like have an identity and like you guys are a bunch of dudes in flannels or you know t-shirts. So you can you know you need to be just more marketable. Yeah, like someone probably was like Billy Corgan, your hair looks like shit, man. Like, <laughs> cut that shit, you know. I feel like he needed to keep that hair because his head looks ginormous. Yeah, it's he's got a like, melon. It looks like a me- that's from he's melon, got a melon for sure. And like I feel like the hair helped hide some of that yeah, for moon sure. face. You know, he, had, like, he had nice sleek black hair on <laughs> melancholy. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he did. Looks, he looks good. I don't he looked kind of like you know how you know what boy George looks like now? How he has yes. that little like <clears throat> little hat hair. Billy Corbin. He looks like cousin thing. Polly to me. He does. He looks, Dude. My little cousin Polly looks like a small version of him. Like I mean, like. Super small version, have you seen, but the same head. Have you seen how tall that dude is, though? Oh, yeah. Here Billy Corgan's a motherfucking tall, is he tall dude. He's like 6'6 six, six or something. He's Gangly, a beast. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like he's, Thurston Moore. Like, <laughs> yeah. Thurston Moore's like Sonic Youth dude. Yeah, he stuck six. out for yeah. that reason. I mean, for other reasons, but yeah. Yeah, he's a big dude. Tall dude, for sure. And now he wears like goth. He's all gothed out. Yeah. Fucking random. Was it Zero? What's his band? Zero. Swan. Swan. One hit wonder. Swan, yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Uh, just going back to like the fact that he was so excited about it, and I was like, I love, and I still love Gish. I will put on that's still a, that's still an album I will reach for if I'm in the mood to. You listen know what? To it. Like, I listened to that album not as much as I used to. Oh, well, I listened to it more before. I didn't give it that much attention. But Snail on that album is amazing. The progression, the guitars, and I think why it doesn't get recognitions because it's not it's produced by Butch Vig, but it was low produced. It's on mm. the the lower volume, what the little brother uh, record label. So uh, it didn't do as well for many reasons. It's a college college pop rock album, and it wasn't produced very well. So I think it didn't get the publicity it should have gotten. Mm. But if you were to re release that album with the production of now, oh my god. It's silly that it's like that at times. It's almost so like good. like the replacements, like their kind of breakout record was like Tim, yeah. which was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommy Ramone produced it. And it sounds way dated. It's a good album. Right. But it's still good. But yeah. Let It Be that came out before that is <clears throat> way better. Like the songs are, you know, but it's, I mean, to Replacements, man, that's going to be like the right. fucking top. But like to the public, it's going to be, Oh, well, which, like, let me look at their back catalog. Uh, which one should I buy? Oh, I should buy this one. Totally. And then go up. And then go up. It's like... The old stuff always gets and, kicked out. And also, a lot of that has to do with the the what's going on with the media at the time. Like, totally. MTV, the heyday of MTV, yep. whatever they pushed was going to be like the... Ver- like, that was the modern day payola. Oh, yeah. You know? And that was the end of rock and roll, like... Yep. To me, like, you know, with with everything firing on all cylinders, like it culminated with like that time, you know, like because then shortly after that it's beach parties and, yeah, and it's game shows. MP three, Napster, like yeah, you know. Yeah, and it all that hit. Yeah, Napster killed the the the, the record store. Not rec, Napster didn't just kill the record industry; it killed the record, record store. store. Yeah. yeah, before the internet was actually a thing. Yeah. The, th- the thing too, like thinking about like the Smashing Pump, this album, um, I never really like. I I got the the heavy like 
Midwest influence and where they came from and why they sound like like the helmets. You know, we talked about yeah, that. Totally. But like a lot of the like stuff that they probably influenced were like the Jimmy Worlds, the Shins, stuff totally. like that. One thing that I and it's not their fault, but that I don't like, and that's just my personal take. Which the song, what's the what's the real popular ballad on this? Not today, but the other one. Disarm. Is that the one where he's like the killer in me? Yeah, Disarm. that song. Disarm. So yeah. it's a great song, but to me, it's like it's it's almost like like you know how like Martin Scorsese and uh, is really important in putting music into movies, making it really scores, yeah. dramatic and yep. impactful. At a certain point over years, when it gets to like our generation of movie makers, like with what's her name, Sofia Coppola, it's like, and other people, it's like, there's a certain sound that just kind of took off with, you know, putting music in movies. And that song makes me think of like, that I'm watching like fucking, um, like One Tree Hill or something, and and then is, I think of what is like One Tree Hill? Just a terrible show, some awful show. Yeah, yeah we're terrible. Like, just melodramatic. Oh, I thought and like, Channel Five. Or I don't something. know why, like, but it made shit. me think of you too. Like Royal Tenenbaums. Isn't One Tree Hill a U two song? No, no, no. It's some crappy TV on. I'm like, pretty sure One Tree Hill is a U two track on be. Joshua Tree. I'm serious. Actually, that's be. that's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> I can see but, that. But um, the what's it called? Uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Like I love Wes Anderson's use of music in his movies. Yes. But then like the scene where it's like, because I fucking hate Elliot Smith. I just hate him. I don't like his sound. I it makes me sick. You don't want to be sad. You don't like being <laughs> I love sad. Being sad. You don't like being sad all the time. But it's just it's almost like what's his name too? Bright eyes. Like oh I can't stand. By the that way, voice. either ors our next album review because Pat loves that album. I'm gonna so be much. out of town. <laughs> Um, but and it's like the shins like they are they got big and it's like it almost after a while it just like I never want to hear that song but you know what made the shins makes me see but you know what made the shins big Garden State Garden State that's what I'm saying that's what I'm saying two or three tracks on that record and that song I think three that song sounds like one of those songs where it's almost like now someone could be like Let's write one of those smashing. Well, it's crazy because oh, it's so get you're on TV. you're attributing them to creating no no, no, no that no, no, trend inadvertently oh. no 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 inadvertently not intentionally. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, but now it's like a band would almost be like there'd be you know, like uh, your manager's like man write a fucking song for a, for a TV show. Gotcha, because gotcha, there's gotcha, music, gotcha. Musicians no, that makes that, sense. That's they what didn't, they do. They didn't do it on purpose. No, not it at just, all. It just turned that out came like out he, in fucking 1993. Yeah, I got you. I got you. That was their third release, right? So that was the third single. And they found a producer to make that video. You've seen the video. It's black and white. Yeah. It's kind of dramatic. It's just basically his face kind of close up, mm-hmm. POV, trees mm. in the background, clouds moving. And that was filmed in, I think, Silver Lake. So oh, okay. they filmed that here in Los Angeles. And he wanted the dramatic effect. His, you know, hysteria towards me, me, me. It's very much connected, but also that's the saddest song on the entire record. Yeah. So that was his like, and it's not his fault. It's cool. No, totally. It's as much his fault as it's Glenn Danzig's fault for creating the misfits. (laughs) And now every fucking person that's ruined that band. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. blame There's still a version of the misfits out there. Yeah. It's called hot topic. No, I mean like somebody's (laughs) out there. They're playing the soccer stadium. Yeah, dude. They're still selling out stadiums right now, but it's not with Glenn. 
No, it, it was. It's all oh, original. It it's, it's all Jerry original. Only and but before Glenn Danzig decided to do reunions with them, oh, yeah. there was a Misfits totally. band. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With no original no members. Well, there's, there's an all-girl band called the Misfits. They should go. just go see them. And then see Black Fag at the oh, same time. Or there you nudist, go. Nudist Priest, ACDC. Oh, damn. Anymore. You can keep going with these. Yeah. I love all those bands. Max Sabbath. Max Sabbath's huge now. I Max Sabbath is huge now. <laughs> oh, big Max Sabbath. No, they're just Max they're Sabbath. Just Max but, Sabbath. It's, but it's McDonald's. They come yeah. out in hamburgers. Yeah, it's like Grimace is <laughs> yeah. the fucking, fucking bass player. Me? No, yeah. I'm not kidding. It's 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 like Grimace is the bass player. It's Max Sabbath and their their McDonald's oh, how character. Cheeseburgers, <laughs> probably the drummer. The first one I ever remember was Nudist Priest was the first one that ever came out that was like that to me. It was Nudist mm-hmm. Priest and ACDC. Wow. Okay. And now all these new bands are coming out that are doing it. It's like it's pretty fucking rad. Okay. Um, but the when we we're out. I want to go back to the the sequencing of the album and like the the amount of songs on here. Like you're saying, that's the saddest song, like Disarm, and then like Space Boy is a sad song. Well, it's, it's about, about his, his brother, brother. It's and it's like there's brother. a lot of sadness. Yeah, on this record, and Infinite Sadness is the title of the next record. So I was like, <laughs> this dude is just fucking sad. Yeah, man. <laughs> but, that's that's that brings creativity and genius. But Gish. Like, was like what happened between Gish and this record, and is I don't know if it's is Courtney Love involved in all this? Like I think he said, didn't they date? Uh, did he date her? They dated. Yeah, they dated. Okay, after, I, after Kurt but Cobain. this record is a lot to do with the wife that be the girl that became his wife. So his um, during melancholy, I believe he his mom died mm. and got divorced. I he believe, got divorced. Yeah, he got divorced. Right. So <laughs> they could say his mom, his mom died, died and then she got. Divorced. <laughs> yeah, this isn't gonna work out. <laughs> this isn't gonna work out. Sign this. I'm she dead had now. No so. way out. She had to no, die. Yeah. So he. So melancholy. But before that, he was already just a depressed dude. Uh, the band itself. I mean, Siamese is known as bad. Just chemistry as a band. Great music. Oh, the members. Yeah, terrible. Like uh, James Eha and. Uh, well, yeah, they all looked. They, they dude, all looked they were sad. all a mess. And but Jimmy Jam was a big heroin addict. Oh, dude. So the reason, going back to the Wisconsin studio, the reason they recorded uh, Siamese in Saint Petersburg, Florida, was because I thought they recorded in Georgia. No, they recorded in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Oh, okay. Or actually, you're right. Sorry, Georgia. Georgia. He came from Saint Petersburg to try try Klopp Sound Studios yes, in Georgia. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah. So the reason they left is because they were trying to leave their hometown of Chicago to record because... Uh, dry him out. Dry him out. Because he had all his connections and drug uh, drug dealers in Chicago. So, like, we need to not have him have accessibility to any of them. So gotcha. they moved as far away to record this album, which didn't work. He, just <laughs> he found, found drugs. He just found drugs. Yeah. He just called Michael Stipe and be like, yo, hook me up. I don't think... Totally. have to let him play. I don't think Michael Stipe... Because he played great. So he's drugs. Just leave them alone. I just remember yeah. the only thing I remember because I saw them at the Palladium um, for '93. Yeah. For oh, this, I was there. Yeah. Yeah, for, for that tour? tour. Yeah. I, I was, was totally there. Yeah. Whoa! Another show we were at the <laughs> same show. Another. What the fuck, man? Um, <laughs> and I just remember his drum, his bass drum had Jason. like the old jazz, like yeah. conductors. <clears throat> it was a job. shield, but it, yeah, like and they and had the stripes. The, well, you know the what the stripes are? No. It's because jazz drummers or lots of drums you you put a a felt on the inside 
And that's so that you dampen it instead of like a lot of people put pillows or whatever. So right. you put this piece of felt on the inside of the skin and jazz drummers used to, they Slingerland started making drum heads with that. So that bar is to cover that so you don't see it. Oh, crazy. And then everyone had that shield and you look at all, like and Louis Belson, it says the, LB, Buddy yeah. Rich, BR, oh, Gene Krupa, that's GK. Dope. Yeah, and then like any, like the Count Basie Orchestra would have this the Count Basie logo on everybody, not just him. On their shields, yeah. But the drummer would still have right, it. It'd right, be right. like Sonny Greer. Yeah, yeah. But I remember, yeah, seeing him like with that drum kit, with that, and I was like, man, that's awesome. That's you know, super dope. We knew about jazz because of our dad, <laughs> and then you hear him playing, and he's not playing in a jazz context, but he's definitely like a different caliber rock drummer. Yeah. You know, like you, uh, the other drummers at that time, I think that like that were big was like Tim Alexander for Primus to him. Like he's a great drummer, but it's like he's <clears throat> obviously a Neil Peart fan. It's about te- technique, technique and he has that that like almost like 311, like, it's like that piccolo, like snare drum. It sounds like like he's a good drummer, but in that context, 100 uh, percent. Jimmy yeah. Chamberlain. It seems like he could be in a ton of different bands. Totally. You know what I mean? Yep. He's really versatile. And I don't think that he has the same, like, because earlier we were talking about the police. Like, Stuart Copeland, to me, you know it's Stuart Copeland playing the drums. Yep. When you hear Alex Van Halen, you know it's him. I don't necessarily, maybe I haven't listened hard enough or long enough. I don't think that Jimmy Chamberlain has that, but he's got something way more than the average high caliber drum totally like he's at the fucking yeah, top of the IQ heat. is high for sure you know and the dude uh, the dude plays in a jazz band now oh he does yeah as a side oh, project okay. just and cause then, I think his roots have always yeah. been there so and when what I, I don't know what tour I know there was a point where it was uh, Wendy Melvin the the keyboard I don't know Wendy and Lisa from the Prince oh, really? and the Revolution I don't know what she played, if she was the keyboardist or what. In Smashing Pumpkins? No, 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 no. Oh. In Prince. In Prince. I think she was vocals, right? Vocals and keyboard? And played some, yeah. Yeah. Her brother, I don't know his name, but Wendy Melvin, it's something Melvin, was playing in Smashing Pumpkins touring band. Oh. Playing keyboards. I didn't know that. And they were (laughs) on the road somewhere, and he was doing Smack with Jimmy Chamberlain, and he died... Oh, that's on right. the he, tour. He died on the tour. In his room. And Jimmy Chamberlain, they, were, uh, he was, they basically right. said, hey, you fucking... This, his death is on his... On his oh, he and was he got like, arrested for it. He yeah. got arrested and for... And that's when they kicked him out of the band. They kicked him out. I remember, I remember the, the association of the person who died. I didn't know that the person who died was... I didn't know it was... That's her brother. Was her brother. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. I didn't know that happened. And it was him. Oh, that's so. crazy. I didn't know that yeah. at all. That's when they kicked him out. And that's when their shit went out of... Yeah. It was like a manslaughter charge or something, yeah, like or was, reckless endangerment or yeah, something. Yeah, so like I mean, just a drug possession was something. So that's crazy. But the dude was heavy, heavily drugged all the time. So yeah, it's so, so crazy that the hardest working person in a band is the one that's the highest, the hardest, like <laughs> sedated, drugged. How do you do that, man? <laughs> how how do you? Like, well, how if many he's that season though? It's like, but like, how many muscle memory at that point? It is. It's, how many it's drummers are every almost every jazz drummer was on on heroin? Oh yeah, totally. Like all I the jazz that. great, all the great jazz drummers. Not all of them, but a lot. A lot but of I players. Believe that. And then but, like all the rock and roll drummers, they are either the heaviest drinker, 
Yes. Or the heaviest drug user. Well, what's the top of her head was it was the junkie in the class. He was a junkie. But his playing was fucking spot That's what on. I'm saying. Like, but it the, just takes a different it takes a different a certain type of personality. But as far as like hardest working, like playing guitar and singing yeah. takes fucking everything out of you. I think it takes everything out of you mentally. I'm talking about no, physical. physical. Oh, it does? When I started because I don't really sing. But I started singing a little bit, like, and playing the drums. And, like, even if it's just in a couple songs, I mean, you're using everything. Your oh, breath, you know. Sure. You might have the mic and it's loud enough, but you still have to project that voice. And if you're doing it for fucking, you know, and at this yeah. point, Smashing Pumpkins, they're playing at least an hour and a half show. 100%. Yeah. You can play the drums, even if it's fucking hard for two hours. And, yeah, you're going to be whatever. But the singing mm. and, like, and then you got to think about this, too. So Smashing Pumpkins, say they, I'm sure they played at the Hollywood Bowl at some point. I don't know. Maybe. But so at this point, they're on top. They're playing a two hour show. As soon as they walk off that stage, do you think anybody, as far as press, wants to know what Jimmy Chamberlain has to say? It's going to be Billy Corgan. Corgan. As soon as you're off the stage, you're still on the stage for hours. Totally. Yep. He gets to go to his room and shoot up or yeah and that's just perfect yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's what sucks like, that people my job's done people don't really <laughs> respect true. that that privacy and that sense of like you know like the performer is there to perform but sometimes like i've, I've heard so many stories i heard one story about like someone said oh i met herbie hancock in person and he was a jerk and it's like why was he a jerk they're like oh because i was just trying to like say hi or get an autograph but it's like do you realize that Someone that iconic, do you think that you were the first person that day that approached him? You, can you just be tired of being approached after a while? You know, can you let this person just, like you were talking earlier about seeing Sting just being a person, right. in a line for something, and no one's fucking with them because at least everyone is in that world and knows that it's just like, because when it comes down to it, they're still a person. Yeah. They're living, they're breathing. You know, Was like, it at Costco for hot dogs? No. Okay. No, we we it, it was a show. It was a show I worked on. He was actually I it was back to back shows that I worked on oh, with him. Shit. And and I was telling him it was like we were in line in the security line. Okay. And it was just him and I in the same line for like 15 minutes. Wait, the dude still has to wait in line? That's what I that's what the whole thing was was that I was like was post 9/11. That's Not what only was okay, everybody get Not only now. was he having to act like the rest of us yep but he was super just chill and like yeah, he was like he sometimes people like he has to be he was just like know? chatting me up and i just i was telling my brother oh, i was like shit. i didn't know what to say i just did a lot of one words and a lot of nods and i'm like yeah i didn't want to geek out on it totally and you know and like and i've i've been lucky i've gotten to meet tons of musicians do you think other people of, knew who he was everyone knew who he oh was. he did okay yeah, so but he, he was, was in the spotlight he was in a group he was in the group that he came with right it just the way that the line split up. It just happened that he was him by and himself I, at that moment. Yeah, just we, him and I got pulled, and then we were in one line together, and everyone else was on the other. This was like going through the magnetometer right, right. lines, so whatever. And like you know, I've met tons of musicians. I've met tons of people in the industry that I work in, and sometimes I'm actually I'll actually be like a little taken back. Like meeting Robert De Niro was like, oh yeah, like my heart was being like a thousand miles, right. you know, a thousand beats a minute, and not only. Not only did I get to meet him, but Rob, um, uh, the comedian Robin. Why? Rob Schneider? No. Robin Rob Williams. Williams. Rob Williams. He came to that Robert De Niro it's show that I did. Dude. 
I was just <laughs> energy. Hey, no, I was like, I don't want to <laughs> knock on my head. <laughs> um, so like, I just like the producer brought Robert De Niro over to meet me. So I'm just like, what the fuck? That's dude? more. And I'm just I like, think that's on more the of a spot. pressure moment because they're bringing them to you. Yeah, so you and have so to entertain it was at that Bill. moment. Bill brought him over, to, and so like, like you have to did you ask him moment. if he was talking to you? <laughs> you talking ask him to me? shit. Talking to me? <laughs> And so I'm all, I keep clapping. I gotta stop clapping. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, I'm all like flabbergasted. So I get up from my desk to go get a snack. You know, we have the craft service tables. And I walk over <laughs> to the get to get something. And fucking Robin Williams is at the goddamn table. And then he starts talking to me. I'm just like, man, this doesn't even it's seem overkill, real dude. right now. Like, I just wanted to go overkill. outside. Right. And, this is, fresh and I used to smoke cigarettes back then. Yeah. So I'm like. I'm going to the dock and smoking the cigarette. I can't handle all this. You know what regret I have? There was and when we were at Louis J. Horvitz, um, I was walking, like racing to the bathroom, and I almost ran over this person, and it was Al Pacino, and he was being all nice. He was like, "Oh, excuse He's me." He's a small you know? dude, right? Yeah, it's tiny. He's very yeah. tiny. Yeah. And I knew who he was, like once he moved, and I and I went to the bathroom, and I'm in the bathroom. I'm like, "Fuck! I should have gave him a hua because that was like." <laughs> Sure, he'd like, love that. I, I always think of like you know, like stupid things, you know, because I, for me, I, I've never been like, I don't know, like the only person I think that I ever was really starstruck was like, and it's funny because it was Stevie Wonder, like that's a good one. But it was it was just crazy because he's walking and I just felt like this energy around him, yeah. you know. Um, but anyways, it was like um. We were talking about just like just like leaving people alone, you know. Like, well, yeah, like I think a lot of times people don't respect that. Totally. It's like an artist that's like, right. like that's why they're on the stage, yeah. and that's, that's why your that's the ass moment. stays down here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so like you forgive them for some of these transgressions that they do. Like you know, like not I didn't know that his mom died. During the making of that album. I mean, there's a lot of stuff yeah. you don't know about totally. somebody until after the fact. You have to dig to get yeah. this stuff. They're not just going to put it out and there. And, like, it's... you just appreciate what these people did when they went into this room. And I give Butch Vig a lot of the credit for this particular album because I think without him, this could have fallen apart completely. Because you were saying that the, the, the chemistry between the band wasn't really there. It was terrible. The only chemistry there was Butch Vig and Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan actually trusted... Butch Fig, which was rare. He didn't trust anybody, including his own bandmates. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the chemistry had to be good. And to produce an album, I mean, as far as I you know, know, they were in the studio nonstop, 16-hour days, just them two. Uh, Jimmy Chamberlain <laughs> recorded his part, Heroin Down and All. He recorded, I think, in three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he just knocked it all he out. He knocked it out, yeah. and he was... Completely drugged out, and he still nailed it out. Do the other two? Does Darcy or James do any vocals? They do. Uh, James did uh, two tracks that he actually wrote, and he actually did some backup vocals. But it's very oh, he wrote mayonnaise, huh? Yeah, which is an amazing song on that record. I just found out that it means amazing. that it means Purs. I think they recorded as purring. purring. <laughs> <laughs> I just found out that mayonnaise. <clears throat> Why I was like, why has it always been misspelled? It's my own eyes. My own eyes, yeah. And I didn't know that. Yeah. And I just found that out Which from Butch, Butch Vig's interviews. Exactly. And I was no, like... You, you learn a lot from that. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because I was like, what the fuck does mayonnaise mean? And it's not even spelled correct. You right. Know? But, but it's, he, it's he, my own eyes. Those okay. guys, like... I mean, there's... Billy Corgan at one point mentioned that he and Butch Vig 
took them three days to record a four-second part of Cherub Rock because they were just obsessed and layering and unlayering and stripping down and adding more. For four days, they did that. And for yeah. a four-second part of the song, and nobody else gave a shit. Like, they were just like, why are you guys spending so much time? Virgin Records is like, put out a record already. We're paying you for this. But yeah. they were on the same wavelength. So Butch, so, Butch yes. was a good match. He was amazing for them. For, he was perfect. Yeah. That's why, like, a lot of these albums that we're starting to get into, um, when you really start to dig and like understand the labor intensity right. and like that went into these things. It's like, that's why they have such a broad appeal. That's why they're going to stand the test of time. Right. You know, that's, and the other thing, like when you're talking about, you know, Butch Vig playing smells like teen spirit or whatever, and kind of being shocked that everyone else was shocked. It's like, you got to think like, He's probably heard that song more than anybody. Yeah. Oh, Just yeah. like with this, oh, these yeah. two guys, Billy Corrigan and Butch Vig, were probably like, it's like when you're making when you're making your art, if you really believe it and it's really coming from you, like I'm sure with, with you, what you're doing with uh with your your side or your your business, you know when you have something that's good. When it moves yourself, you're just like, fuck. Now, yeah, if you could share that with other people, that's when you win. But there's that moment of that insecurity, like fuck is this good right you I'm, I'm sure yourself. those two guys were sitting in there that's why they're working for hours because they're like uh, is it right is like, it I worth it is it you right yeah. and then it's like you know what fuck it it's done that's almost like like a painter like when when did when do you know it's done it's like is this the last right. stroke like oh my god totally. i don't know and then it's like you just have to walk away and then everyone is like either gonna fucking hate it or love it yeah or both. You know? yeah. it's it's hard it's so easy to hate things. Yeah. Especially nowadays. 100%. There's so much of it. That's it's, why. It's yes. so it's so easy. And I, I was talking to my son about something completely different other than music. But I was like, you know, there was a time where I didn't spend a minute thinking about anything I hated. Mm -hmm. Like, if I didn't like it, I didn't like it. I just didn't pay, I didn't pay no mind. Totally. And, and, like, I've never played on a record I've never, I've been in the studio, you know, I've been in the studio with him. I've been in the studio with other bands. Um, and like, you look at even like a, a local <laughs> punk band that goes into the studio to make a record. It's like not just the band themselves, but the people who plug everything in the per the person at the desk, the people who, who like configure, you know, even the people who will get you food, it's like, Everything. and just like a TV show, like totally. all these people come together to make this thing. And then you, you put it out there and then people just shit on it. Shit on it. And you're just like, fuck. Like, right. <laughs> like, Heck. I mean, even like, even just like, you know, him and I doing this, like people could hate it. Totally. People could hate what we're saying. 100%. And I'm like, they disagree. They hate it. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like, we said it in the in one of them before. We're like, just go make your own. <laughs> but it's uh, not easy, man. It's not, yeah. and it's like we. The reason that we wanted to do what started this, what started this whole thing, was like we wanted to talk about the things that we actually do like. You know what I mean? More about what we like than what we don't like. Totally. And even if it's an album that it's not my favorite, mm -hmm. it's not even. He already admitted that he's not even a fan it's of the band's catalog. But yeah, he has the respect respect for what went into what, the and making. what it did for other music. Yeah, right, yeah, that's, that's just, just as important as is loving the music is just giving it respect and the props that it deserved. 
Yeah, and you can't, I mean, you can't, this is an album that you can't deny what the impact that it's had. Right, totally. And it'll probably, this will be one of those albums that like generations will just discover over and over. And I think that like the songs that are still played on the radio, like I think there's that Jack FM plays, they play a lot of crap, but then they play like, you know, because they they play way too much Arcade Fire. It's like no one needs to even listen to Arcade Fire for the rest of their lives. Um, And the Killers, it's like, oh my God, fucking kill me, please. I love Arcade Fire. But then... Why why hurting? Why is it talking First album is amazing. But But you also Continue, continue. Kings of Leon, and I'm sorry. I do. Anyways, that's that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> the anyways. albums we hate. Kings of Leon <laughs> is going to be here. Um, <laughs> but like when they'll play like a song like like today, it's like yeah, a young kid should hear that and fucking like go find that shit. You know, you might that might make you pick up a guitar, or it just might make you feel good for fucking a few hours. You know, like you know that's what's important. And on top of that, like. There's something to say that when it came out, mm-hmm. when it came out, there wasn't anything like that really at that level. So like you guys are Except talking never about, mind. yeah, well, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but like you can count on one hand how many, oh, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. there was one other album produced by the same person. So for me, like it was iconic and it is, I like, can just kind of like, I can't imagine being in a bedroom anywhere in the world when Sgt. Pepper's dropped mm-hmm. or like Abbey Road or, you know, any Rolling Stone album. Like, how the fuck is that? Like, how can you compare that time to what it is now and be like, yeah, it's a cool album. It's like 150th on my list. But I'm like, can you imagine what that record was when it came out, the influences? Like David Bowie writing Space Oddity. Like, how do you write a song about outer space and being there when you've never been there? <laughs> And fucking nailing it. Drugs. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Drugs. But I'm. it's still impressive to mm. think that you could write something at that level, like a Jimi Hendrix riff. How do you do that? You know, that's yeah. a, a Miles Davis. Like, Jimmy, how do you do that? Jimi Hendrix, like, I, I can't even. I, I We talked about him in, the, in, our, in our Van Halen one where we were talking about, like, just musicians in general and like where they fit in the you know you always have these like oh the top greatest totally. guitar players whatever everybody like, has one it's like that guy was so much he was such an alien 100% that it's you nothing that he did was normal even though he based everything on the blues yeah when he just started to manipulate to get yeah. sounds out of things it's like this guy is like not from this world no totally and I don't think that there's that many bands that can be touted as that. Like, you know, a lot of the jazz musicians, um, because jazz has a foreign feeling to it, right. like you, there's no language. The music 100%. is the language, you know, totally. like there's no, 100%. there's not singing unless it's scatting or whatever, like a lean of horn or something like that. Right. But like most of the jazz is just like the voice is in whatever instrument the instrumental. This, this guy's yeah, playing. It's, that's the beat. That's and the then heart. like, you know, Billy Corgan has a voice and it's not a good voice. It's, no, it's terrible. It's not a, it's not a he classic. He has a terrible voice. It's not a classical. No. It's whiny. He figured out how to use it. Though. Yeah. Right. And like, and it, fuck those guitars. And then yeah, and, he figured out how to use it. Yeah. And Jimi Hendrix did not have a good voice. No, he didn't. But like I was talking, we I don't know if I said it earlier or not, but I was like, some of this album sounds like a little bit of the softer Jimi Hendrix songs. So like a May This Be Love or a Little like Wing. Like his ballads, yeah. 
And even the way sure. that Billy puts together the, the, the composition and the way he's singing sounds like a Jimi Hendrix. Like in his head. In his head, he probably is he's hearing to that out. Yeah. a Jimi Hendrix thing. I love that. But his voice is so distinct, even though yeah. he's not a good singer, yeah. that it works. Yeah, you know, and well, it's it's because he's finding like like chordal patterns that are like they're pretty but sad, but not just blatantly being like everything melancholy. You know, right. where it's like yeah, like even the song today, like that's that's some minor minor like you know keys that like, or I don't I don't know if I don't know if that's technically right, but it's like it's sad notes, but it's pretty. Right. And then that song, the totally. one that I was kind of saying, like One Tree Hill, whatever. Disarm, yeah. That's just straight up. Straight up, sad. yeah. And it's the one song that you sticks know. out a lot because it doesn't sound like that anything has, on the track. Yeah, it doesn't album. even sound like it's on that album. Nothing. Yeah, it's, it's that one very has random. strings in it, doesn't it? What's up? Yeah. It has strings in it. It does. It has like orchestration. It actually has orchestral. Yeah. 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 Yep. That's what kind of gives it that depth of the sadness, yes. too, I think. But the Jimmy Hendrix Black and White thing, video added to that, too. It's like, yeah, it's like it's... And that takes a different, like, I think, I think it takes a different approach. Like it takes someone that isn't just sitting there like, okay, well, let me write a song. And they're looking at it like a composer, you know, like I'm going to pick this. It's like, it's just feeling. Yeah. And that connection that like a Jimi Hendrix had with that instrument, it was like, it was a part of him. Oh, there's not many musicians that are like, they just belong with that. Seriously. That's why, like, for him, you talk about, like, the top whatever guitar players. Like, he's, like, the top five. And then now you have the next people. Yeah, right. Like, with jazz, like, Charlie Parker is, like, the top five best saxophone players. He has all those five spots. And then the rest. rest, Yeah. Yeah. You know? Influenced by him. Yeah. yeah. And there's not that many other people that could command that. Right. Yeah. And it's it's the the short-lived guys, too. Like, think about Charlie Parker had a short life. Yeah. Well, it, relative. 36. Relative. And Jimmy was, what, 27? 27? He's part of the 27. Mm-hmm. 27. I mean, you have your Ian Curtis as a Joy Division, same yeah. thing. 23 at that uh, level. And so, Genius. So young. Yeah. Like, how old's Billy Corgan? He's 50-something. He's in his 50s for sure. He's like three years older. Yeah. Than I think, yeah. So, I mean, what, 93 is on that album? So, he wrote it in 92. So, he He's wrote 25. that. He was young yeah. when he wrote He's it. A young guy. But, dude, is still around. But yeah, uh, it's not, he's he doesn't have the same capacity to write something like that anymore. Plus, it's different era and internet and platforms are just everywhere now. But I always give the credit when people are like, "Really, that's your favorite album? That's one of your favorites?" I'm like, "Dude, like, imagine being a teenager and putting that record on. You've never heard anything like that. Like a Nevermind album, maybe. And I've heard and I have my Bloody Valentine on tape, and that's about it." Yeah, and then there's nothing, and then you hear something like that, and it just melts your fucking face off. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that record, too, this record that we're talking about, it's one of those that you can go back and listen to it and get something different. Totally, you know. There's a lot of complexity and layers, and and it, you it, once you know a little bit more history, and you go back and put those headphones on and listen to, it, you're like, oh shit, man, I hear that now. Yeah, I hear that angst. And I think the '90s was a time like our my generation which was we were just idiots we were just angsty idiots yeah 100 percent. all we wanted to do was go in the pit yeah That's, same go to a show yeah. we just wanted to you know fucking fast forward to the pit yep beat each other up yep and and we weren't ready for 
the complexity. Like the Beatles was our parents' music. Yeah. I love the Beatles as an adult. I wasn't listening to the Beatles as a kid. No, you don't get it. It's too complex for you. But I listened to the Stones. Ah. And and it's like, it's the attitude. It's like that, the Stones have that like. Yeah, Mick Jagger had it. That angsty attitude. Totally. And so then like, you know, the whole, the punk rock and then the really heavy stuff, like the, the, for me, the metal, like, like for, if this was your favorite album as a teenager, like Mine's Rain and Blood by Slayer. And Ooh. it's like, that's, Damn. and, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's 86. So this is, Completely that's different five world. years before. No, that's no, like seven, seven years. years, seven years difference. And like between Rain and Blood and not, and not, but the, 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 the dichotomy of the Rain and Blood thing is that was also hip hop for me. Like the, the, and the hip hop had the same. It still stirred up all the aggression in you. Yeah. That's what those albums were for. Yeah. And it was like all this like super testosterone music. Uh-huh. It was like metal, hip hop. <laughs> and then these albums came out. And I'm like, and the, when we talked about it on the Nirvana episode, I was like, it was, I was at a party. People put it on. None of us liked it. I didn't like, like it either it when it first us, came out. It took same me here. almost it, a year. Same here. To like it. It took me like a year to like it. And there's good aggressive yeah, songs on it, yeah. but there was something about the complexity of like the soft and the hard yeah. that we were, I just wasn't ready for. It, it was very a, almost emo. Yeah. And that's where way. like that's what I was gonna lead into is like the whole like emo or whatever, like that phenomenon that wasn't it's kind of a sleeper. Yeah. That was years behind it. Totally. Um it's just a different form of rebellion. Because all those, all that music that was coming out, like your Jawbreakers and your Mm -hmm. Super Chunk, um, you know, even like early, like Jimmy World, before it got like, oh, this is cool. It's like, those are all of the, the outcasts, you know, like we were talking earlier about like Tommy Lee being in the marching band. And my brother's like, I can't under, I couldn't even imagine Tommy Lee. Like he just (laughs) seemed like he was always a rock star. Right. But it's like, even back then, like it wasn't cool to be in a band because there weren't real bands then. Mm -hmm. Like I remember being a kid and I was just like, like if you're in a band, then you're just fucking like superhuman. I didn't know that you can actually just buy equipment and set it up in your parents' garage. You know, like even though that was there, like with punk rock or whatever, like I didn't see it, you know, to me, like when I was growing up, it was the end of the Sunset Strip. So yeah. it was like, you yeah. know, there was, the, it was still the Troubadour. It the was Kazari's, yeah. it was the Roxy. So it was all these iconic places where the people on the stage, you didn't think that, hey, that's the guy that just mowed my lawn. You know, it was <laughs> like, had, no, this guy real jobs, yeah. is like fucking living, you know, in a high rise and all yeah. this. So it wasn't, I think with the whole like emo thing, it's like, it started become becoming real where it was like these are just this is someone that just served your coffee that is fucking writing songs about heartbreak (laughs) love and terror but and he's fucking pissed but it's just in a different light because of the smith the smiths is talking he's talking about fucking smashing bitches in the face you know (laughs) he's the first 
emo band period. I don't kind care what anybody yeah. fucking says. Like Morrissey, Smith, yeah, killing girls and like just all, dude. I if know, I die like, with you, I'll be the happiest moment. Come on, bro. That's, exactly. That and I love it for that reason. And it sounds right? gorgeous. I love it. It's yeah. it's uh yeah. It is exactly that. It's a even beautiful the, a beautiful death. Yeah, and even like because like the Cure, like they're like post punk. And then they turn into that. And turn into like gothy, more yeah, like, like angst, it, it was like a because even like like head on the door, it's still dark. It's still got some rock. And but roll. disintegration, disintegration. Yeah, I always pronounce it wrong. Yeah. Uh, that became like straight dark goth, almost rock. Yeah. And it was poppy still, but it was dark for yeah. fucking sure. Like and the Smiths were that. one of those bands. That oh was yeah. Just like sort them like, <laughs> yeah. and they kind of. They kind of sound the same the whole yeah. way, but like you don't want them to sound different. His you don't need a keyboard player. No, and his thing like Smiths, like you're 100 percent right. Like you listen to all the songs, they can kind of get jumbled up as like one long song, but then his vocals are the part that distinctly changes every song. Mm-hmm. They're so different, but yet still so sad. Yeah, and even the people like that that got older in the other side of it, like thinking of turning into like emo or whatever. Like I remember when you brought the the Fugazi record home, the tape. I listened to it and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like I want to hear Minor Threat. <laughs> oh like, yeah, yeah. Fuck I didn't yeah. like Fugazi. I didn't even revisit that for years after. I actually had a hard time moving on from Minor Threat to Fugazi. I was one of those people too. I'm like, no nah, dude, I'm not doing Fugazi. Yeah. And but cause and it was like they were just like, well, we already did that when we were kids. Yeah. We're, and Fugazi is still angry as shit, you know. And if you hear, if you break down the music, they're breaking so many rules yeah. by creating this whole music with different time signatures and, and different instruments. What album was it, by the way, that you brought home? Do you um, Steady Diet of Nothing. Yes, that's it my was first a, Fugazi it was a record. Tape. Yeah, it was a tape. It that's the tape. first one I heard. Yeah, it was a tape Steady of Steady Diet of Nothing. I think we taped over it, too. It was just like, what is this? <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it sucks. It's funny because of the minor threat. Fugazi Teen Idols catalog like my favorite track is a Fugazi track which is Waiting Room mm-hmm. like nothing is better Still in their so catalog than that out than that song to me like that that song just solidifies an era for me mm-hmm. like it's like the end of that era for me like yeah. you know like the SODs and all that stuff came, you know, came. You don't want to listen to that again. But but I'm saying, like, I was into <laughs> it when it came out. Oh, and it yeah, was like, yeah. it was, it was like, then we had Anthrax doing stuff with Public Enemy. It was like, yeah. we It started yeah, becoming shit. a mockery of itself. So it was like, that song is like, that's the last great yeah. punk song for me. Yeah. From the time I grew up. I gotcha. And Fugazi. Because it started becoming almost listenable, poppy. Yeah. And like, and like the Fugazi. Stuff like Repeater, I love Repeater. I I actually went back and that's my favorite. Album rebought Steady Diet of Nothing because I think we did tape over that. <laughs> that's hilarious. And I like really got into them late, you know, later. It was like yeah. I I I knew I liked something about them, but it wasn't Minor Threat, so it was also just like eh, yeah, you know. Well, and it also just didn't even seem like it was the same guy. That's the stuff that no, lasted. Well, it isn't. It's just. Ian McKay. Just yeah. Ian McKay's the only dude. But yeah. the thing that, like, the thing that, that's what's important, especially when you're a kid. Like, the stuff that you don't necessarily understand or whatever, if you can't make the change with it, that's what I find later. It's like, that's what you go back to and you end up loving. Yep. Like, some of the, totally. like, I think of the stuff that, like, I loved when I was that age. Like, I don't revisit much of it. Like, because I'm just like, and it's not that I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I listened to this, but. 
it's just it doesn't do anything for me anymore mm. but some of the stuff that's like you know like from that time that maybe I slept on or maybe you know like we did the Nine Inch Nails album like that album's could I could still get into that and just there's so many things yeah. you know and I didn't, and I wasn't even a Nine Inch Nails fan either but it's, it's like it's to a me 30 year old record isn't that crazy that's, that's the part that's blowing my mind away is that these records <laughs> That you guys this have been might be reviewing. The last podcast. Yeah, no shit, huh? <laughs> the, the records that you guys have been reviewing, like, people never saw this in its light of day. They saw it as, oh, that record was 20 years old. Let's listen to it now. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, how fucking cool it was that that record came out when we were, like, around. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure our parents say that about Beatles and whatnot, but, like, but still, that's another big era that I feel like kind of changed fucking music man the Mm -hmm. 90s were a big fucking deal man late 80s and 90s were a big fucking deal like even if you don't like half the shit in the 90s that grunge era did a lot for the 2000s the 90s is my is my favorite for hip hop so like dude 100% agree with you for my personal totally agree with you you know my personal growing up that was like heck yeah the best hip hop that ever came out and and the the rock and roll aspect of the nineties, the the landscape changed, but a lot of good stuff came out of it. I didn't appreciate it as much at the time. At the time. I still like like there was a lot so a lot of stuff that I was into in the nineties was like I didn't want to hear the the main you know, like the the I don't even know how, what word to use to describe it, because I don't want to say it's like packaged, but the stuff that everyone else was into, but like I liked like the drive like Jay Who band. Oh, bands that were Amazing. or the three mile pilot or like there was a lot of people that were doing really different things that you could say the name of that band people every, you can be in a whole room of people and no one no, would know no. what the fuck you were talking there about there was like <laughs> remember the the back to the future reference when he's like there's this the real the real time that we're in and there's the alternative time <laughs> and that's how the 90s were like there was all the mainstream shit that MTV and K-Rock and like all the radio stations pumping out like pirate radio and which is some of it was good it just got big but then there was this whole other line underneath it and it was fucking even better Mm -hmm. but nobody gave a shit about it because it was the indie scene right yeah and indie was not it was a label like hipsters weren't a real thing even though Billy Corgan mentions it in the Sam stream it wasn't really a real thing like to reference for hipsters or like cool. He does say hipsters unite, doesn't he? Hipsters unite, yeah. And that's and, the and way we didn't even think of anybody no, as a hipster back then. No. You don't know what a hipster was in 1993. <laughs> if you called another guy a hipster, you'd be like, fuck you, what the yeah. hell is that? What's a hipster? But, but I think that was a 60s term too, It was wasn't a 60s it? term, yeah, yeah. It was very much like an but then it just kind of died and became. I remember nothing. Seinfeld saying it. They're called they Doofi- call, uh, they, hipster doofus. They called Kramer a hipster, hipster doofus. doofus. He's like, not a hipster doofus, <laughs> <laughs> and he's literally like, like just looks me. like a hipster doofus. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you nailed it. Like there is as this mainstream line was going, there was like this knot of these amazing bands that were underground. Yeah, literally underground, and not making money, and no. it was like. Dude, there's so much good music. And I was like in the middle where I was like grabbing all the mainstream stuff because I was like being influenced by it. You had to. Like, I remember Rage Against the Machine was my favorite album right before that Siamese Stream album came out because mm-hmm. I'd never heard anything like that. Like, why is this guy so angry and he's kind of <laughs> rapping about it? 
what the fuck? I only had heard, like, Beastie Boys, like, rap with, like, punk rock. Right, right, right. And then this guy's, like, hardcore, like, yelling. And I'm like, Rage Against Machine, Rage Against Machine like, 1992? Yeah. So it was right before. But the first the record? Yeah, the first record. Yeah. It was so good. And even their their cover is, like, this Buddha guy on fire. I'm like, damn, these guys are pissed. But then the indie scene was, like, more the emo version of all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, like, math rock. It was math rock. Emo. Exactly. And people don't even know what math rock is. Go to any bar or restaurant <laughs> and go, like, hey, man, did you like any math rock band? Get out of here, bro. I mean, yeah. that's not a real genre of music. Yeah. For sure it was a real genre of music. It's a lot of good I, shit that came I out I remember there. somebody, I, I think I said that. I was like, oh, they're, they're, they sound like real math rock. And everyone just stopped <laughs> and looked at me and they were like. Way to make up a genre, bro. Yeah, it was like at work and everyone just looked at me like, this is like, this is like the, the, the average person in this room wouldn't even know who Fugazi was. No. And it's like. Which is insane. When you're in a room like that. It's so insane. hard to have a conversation with people because it's like you can't even reference anything. We're done at that point. Well, yeah. that's, what, that's when it, there was like dividing lines in like the mid 90s. Like, and one of the big ones was like <clears throat> Sublime. Once that band like became whatever they became and, and everyone that was fans before and then everyone that was fans after, then it was just like, okay, cool. Now we know that all you guys are going to go buy the You No Doubt album yes. and yep. Sublime and fucking Crash Test Dummies and any of that crap, you know, like fucking Everclear. Like there was a bunch oh of my God, god ter- awful straight terrible. bands in the We should 90s, do a podcast you know? on Everclear about how terrible it was. Like there was Goldfinger and fucking... Um, What's the, uh, just so many awful bands? That was a, that was an those awesome, were the bands. Cold Fingers and Austin Powers. Those maybe. were all those bands <laughs> that the people <laughs> like like it was like the kids that were like oh like now I want to be into music because I don't know anything about it and they found that and then it was perfect for them to just here's all the stuff that spoon fed that all of us just rejected so oh. then it was a perfect time where it was like hey. You know what? Do you have five bucks in your pocket? You can go see a show. That's 100% accurate. And you can go see bands that are putting out albums, and they're going to come back in like a few months with some other bands, and then you're going to hear about K Records and Kill Rock Stars and fucking, you know, like... I think the... It was these networks, you know, and it was like... I mean, that all got ruined, too, eventually, but... I think that the era is exaggerated because... During that time is when Hot Topic came into play. Yeah. So they had a place to go and buy an all-in-one, like, starter kit to be this fan of, I don't even know, half the bands you just mentioned. Obviously, I know Sublime and No Doubt, but... Like Remy Zero. What is that? It's awful. That is a fucking vodka. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a a shot in the beer. (laughs) It's a Uh, Remy Martin and a Coke Zero. (laughs) Um, but you know, <laughs> I think I think my age has a lot to do with yes. my perspective because I didn't fall for that strictly because I was older. Like well, I didn't it's, have it's the, also yeah because you knew it was basically when it got to the point where it was harder to spot, spot the outcast. 
Because then it was right. just like, now everyone looks like outcasts because now it's cool. Yeah. It's like it wasn't cool before to do all these things. You started seeing Because no one gave a shit about like, it. You did? I mean, like, that's when you started seeing, like, the backpacks are, like, punk band pins. And, like, gotcha. I mean, we could go on and on about that, but, like, Green Day was a big one who was, Dude, like, anti, but then in it. You think any kid, every school from, like, 1990 before. Yep. There was at least a handful of goth kids that were the outcasts. Totally. And then you have fucking fast forward to whatever. I'm sure after like a My Chemical Romance is out or oh, a Trey You all story. that. They were the cool kids. Then it's kids. like, oh, now fucking everyone's got their fingernails painted black. They're the cool kids now. Yeah. And it's They're not like, the outcasts at no all. No one gave a shit about it. No one was smoking cigarettes in the back. Of, like, nope. It's just, you know, it's like basically it's when the fucking, when the cheerleaders... You know, like it, they're still sluts, but now they just look like, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we could say that. Why? Can How come, we, you know can what? We edit no, that out. we could say all of that. And you know, I just the other day, like someone said, I couldn't say rarity, <laughs> and they said I couldn't say midget. You can't. And you can't say fag. I feel if there's a little gay <laughs> walking around here, I'm gonna call him. We're gonna get shut down. A little fucking. <laughs> this is what editing's about. Right? Get it. Chop that up. It's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Um, <laughs> it's it's sad that it's sad in in one respect, but I would rather have <clears throat> I would rather have that exist, and at least that these kids were interested in music at all. Actually, that's then what it is now. Than what it is now. What it is now is terrible. Because terrible. Even though these kids had their their box store to go and buy their everything they needed, they right. could buy their shirts, their pants, yep. their glasses, their backpacks, whatever they were doing. The whole instant look kit, which didn't exist for us, you know. And even though they had that, and the music was changed into this watered down version of you know good stuff. There was still there was still a uh, kind of an identity to it. Like there was an effort being made. There was still to, an effort, mm-hmm. and there was still yeah. and they still cared. They still cared. And right now, nobody gives a shit. Music is so just Fucking disposable, terrible, dude. That something comes out on a Monday, like and on Friday, it's done. Nobody knows anything. <laughs> Can you guys think of an album in the last? Let's just put out five years to give it a little bit of time. That in a hundred years people are going to give a shit about. That's right now. No. Five years. Go five years back. Any any genre. I I will give one album that. No, go for it. But it's only because it means something no, to that's me. Fine. It's the the I Love You Honey Bear album by Father John Misty. Okay. Like. Like great. In a hundred years. In a hundred years, like, that record will still stand. It will need to stand. Okay. Not that it will. No, that's fair. But it will. It that's will be totally something fair. that like if I was able to write. The Apollo One or whatever that spaceship yeah, that's yeah, flying yeah. around with that record on it, <laughs> and I was able to pick a recent record. I gotcha. That would be one. That's a good record. That I would say, everything on that record mm-hmm. is there's something on there that somebody needs to listen Didn't to. Needs to listen years. to and be yeah I right agree. and like that makes sense. But and then there's some hip hop, yeah. like some of the Run the Jewel stuff. There's there's like to me hip hop still matters. There's some stuff that's still coming out that's right. really, really good. Totally agree. But rock and roll records, it's like 
I can't think of one. It's not what it used to be, man. Like, it's like I'm not even into my roots are post punk. That's my favorite genre of music, if it even was a thing, short lived. And the 90s were a huge influence in who I am and what I am and what I even listen to now. But yeah, man, I can't, like, rock album now in the last five years? Fucking anything. Like, I listen to not rock albums now. Like, I, if I want to listen to rock, I go to my old catalog. Mm-hmm. If I want to listen to what I'm into now, which is, like, washed out in a beach house, it's not rock music. It's just, like, chill, vibey. I just want to drink a beer and lay on my couch kind of music. That's what I listen to now. Because there isn't good rock music anymore. And that's saying something. That in 100 years from now, they're looking at the 2000s like, there wasn't fucking rock music then, bro. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm doing, like, right now, I'm, I'm doing, like, all my digging is, like, stuff that I had completely overlooked that I don't even know if I was aware of it, but, it, like, the Swell Maps. Like, I went back and bought two of their records, and, like, this shit came out in, like, 79. Right. And this shit's fucking amazing to right. me. It sounds right. like, it sounds weird, and it sounds very, like, chaotic, but it's like, I don't know how I missed it, but I'm glad I missed it because now I have something it's to something look new. forward to. It's old and new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's where we're at it. now. Like, yeah, I mean, like he was. You, a, you, we both, all three of us sat here and we're like, nah, man, it ain't shit in the last five years. <laughs> oh, that's what I forgot to say about, like, um, what I think this album influenced. Like a lot of like uh, thrill jockey stuff, like tortoise and like sea and cake. I could totally hear uh, sea and cake. Like yes, that, tortoise, good one as well. That stuff, yes. like you know, and they're from Chicago, like that thrill mm-hmm. jockeys Chicago label. I f- don't think that it's not that I want to say that sh- that wouldn't exist without Smashing Pumpkins, but I th- I I think that there's like a there's some DNA in there, mm-hmm. and then because of that. Especially for this record, in in its place, like I <clears throat> I say it's a must listen to, but it's not a must own for me. Like I didn't know that sounds. I got weird. you. No, I, I know what that means. Like it's not like I need to have it in my vinyl right. collection. But just listen to it once, and, and especially like now that Spotify's around mm-hmm. and and whatever digital streaming, it's totally. like even if I I know what I need on vinyl, like. This is not one that I absolutely need. Well, I have the vinyl. I have three editions of this vinyl, and it doesn't sound like great on vinyl. <laughs> it's not meant... Well, it's not meant to be... Re- you can't hear 42-plus guitars mm. on a tra- on analog. That's a good point, too. That's Do you analog. know what I mean? On analog. Like, Jimi Hendrix, somehow it worked because it was recorded at a different time, and that was the way it was recorded. It was the only analog. Tracks. And that was the only way. And Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when I listen to Swami Stream on my record player, it's just... It's not the same, man. Oh, it's really? A, it's not. And okay. I would like it to be the same because it's my favorite record. But if I... But they recorded it to tape, right? It did, but it's still not yeah, the but same. Master, they mastered it mastering, electric, yeah, yeah, electronically. Electric. Uh, so if I were sense. to tell somebody to listen to this, which I tell people all the time, they're like, really, that's your favorite record? I'm like, yeah, man, just pull it up on your iTunes and Spotify, but put headphones There's on headphones is what I was records, telling? Yeah. yeah, I'm like, put those headphones on. I definitely, it's, it's funny because like um, when I went to go see, when I went to your show in Bonnaroo, 
I we we drove I, uh, my old roommate and I we drove to Bonnaroo. We drove to Tennessee. Oh, it was yeah. like a three day drive. It's a dope drive. And anticipating going, I made a bunch of mixed CDs because we didn't have. I don't think iPods existed when. when what year was this? Two thousand six. They did. I think iPhones. I think iPhones existed. Two thousand three was the first year of the iPhone. I think I had an iPhone. But iPods it didn't, existed. They did yeah, they existed. Okay. It was just the ugly white. I just didn't have one. Piece of shit. I didn't have yeah. an iPhone or an iPod. Look at that fucking. What? Your buddy. I'm not looking. It's a possum. What? Where is he? <laughs> He's on top of the fence. Hell yeah. He's always back oh, I see him, dude. Yeah. I see him. Your Any, buddy. <laughs> anyway, like I made, I made like a fucking an entire case. Of blank CDs burn oh, yeah, like all that. these mixes, you know, because I was like, it's a heck yeah, it's a long trip. drive, and and I remember sweet sweet was I put it on three different discs, didn't think about I didn't think about like I was like oh I just needed to hear that yeah. song, and it's not a driving song, it's not no you know especially I'm driving with a guy it's not a, it's, <laughs> hey it's, man what's wrong with you yeah it's not a, it's not a <laughs> can like, we skip this it's not a <laughs> song to put on a mix CD when you're traveling across country with a guy but it was on three different sync and even I think he was like do you really like that song? I think he noticed that it was on three well, yeah, different I, even I would notice that like bro you know and I was like same CD and I was like, trying to say did I put yeah. it on another one? like I didn't even it's so funny because I didn't even realize but I just was in that zone at that time that I just something about that song mm-hmm. like I just I don't know what it was but I really really liked it at the time and I was like you know these were like most of the stuff that was on these things was like uh, Velvet Underground and like Donovan. Yeah, and yeah. Like, so this was like, really different. Yeah, and then this song comes on and then like different discs, different totally, you know. And like then that song came on again. Elliot Smith was on some of these, Ugh. your favorite. And then like that song came on again and then I didn't even, he had to point it out. And I was like, why? I don't even care about this album. Why is that song right. coming back? And you back? intentionally picked it though. I intentionally picked it. And you like, had to at that time. Yeah. It wasn't just Cause like... Because I was putting them together putting them on in the iTunes. Them on, and yeah, in the iTunes and then yeah. burning them. Like, I was methodically picking these Damn. out. And I was like, what the fuck? And like, so when I was just re- recently listening to it again, I avoided listening to that song. <laughs> so I was like, I know that song. I don't need to listen to it. And the one... I just lost my power on the computer. The one that that I was listening to over and over and over again was Geek USA. I don't remember gravitating to it when it came out, but I was like, to me, that's like, and again, considering my age, considering what I've been listening to all this time, like Mm -hmm. that's the one that That captures you drives such a good energy track two, right? No, it's track eight. Eight. And it's so like it's before mayonnaise, yeah. And after Soma, it's right before. Which mayonnaise. I always thought was weird that it was between the two slowest. Yeah, it's like but right in the middle of these two. I always hated that mm. that it was there. I remember like when I would listen to it on my headphones, I'd be like, "Yeah, man, I'm chilled out. Why the fuck is this song on right now?" <laughs> and and I need to chill out again. And I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool, I'm good again." But yeah. then it was like, "Why is this track?" And, and I'm sure that, there's a purpose behind it. It should have been the opener. I, I my, mean, in towards my the opinion. beginning for sure. And then, like, you know, if you were, if you would flip flop that in the, the opener, it would probably work. But it's my personal yeah, yeah. need. They to probably have put it late in the game because it does sound like a continuation that, of Gish, and it balances. So, it out. like, if they're like, "Oh, there's yeah, the go. next record," oh, what is this just going to be like the first one? 
Yeah, there you go. You know, so then since it's later, it's probably like, oh wait, they didn't forget who they, they were. Didn't forget who they were. It's like that's a really yeah. Good I call. think that the the change in because I think a lot of record companies would have wanted the familiar one first, first, so they can capture you know their saying? audience hmm. to be like, oh, this this album's way too different from the last one. So mm-hmm. how are we gonna market this? So. Right. Let's put the f- most familiar sounding one on. But there. I bet that boardroom because it's like a lot of albums, especially albums of this caliber, they probably have like a listening party where it's mm. all the yeah the suits exactly. and yeah. and they're probably just like fucking put it out because it's great. Well, they were like Kinda, you know they went over budget by a quarter of a million dollars. Fuck. And then they, I think that's right. But that's the that comes out of the band's money. Yeah, and then <laughs> they were. Butch and Billy were so burned out by the end of it. And it was only a four and a half month process, but they were so burned out of how many hours they put into it mm. that they, when they gave it to basically get it, produ- or not produced, but uh, get it mixed, they were just like, just fucking take this record and mix it for us. And they booked the studio for two weeks. And the dude was like, I think it took three days. Because <laughs> it was all because it was just like they over, it was like this is fucking brilliant, man. I'm gonna mix the shit out of this. They overproduced it. They overproduced it. Is mm-hmm. what exactly what they did. So then they were just like, "What? You did this in three days? Like, yeah, man, this is fucking brilliant work, man. Like, <laughs> you guys already did everything. Yeah. yeah, you guys already did everything. I just fucking did this, and so they put it out, and voila, it was completely. It came out top ten, and then to now, I mean, I don't know if it means anything. I mean, do you guys care about? Uh, top 500 or any shit like from Rolling Stone it doesn't mean as much anymore like it used to yeah I don't care about Rolling Stone I think exactly that's how I feel I think that when they used to have a more powerful voice now it's just like whatever bullshit but I think any I don't know it's like like a top like 100 lists of like uh, the enemy or CMJ or Rolling Stone like you start to see a pattern of the ones yeah it's like we music lovers obviously we're all music lovers yeah we just know. I want. Totally. I want a. Hu- I want a list of a hundred records. You know how they always like hundred records you should own, right? I want a list of a hundred records you probably don't know. That's good. By put together by like a band of producers or other musicians that are just like, like you know, like put on some fucking Ali Farcatore shit on there or some like. Sandy Bull. You know, some, like, Peter Thomas Orchestra from Brazil, like, or, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, some real underground shit. Like, like, stuff that these people were, like, what the fuck was Keith Richards listening to during the the Exile album? And you know what's funny? Sometimes when they ask these guys what they're listening to and their influences, you're like, the fuck album is that? I've never heard of that band. (laughs) And then, like, now we can look it up, right? But back in the day, it was like... And that's, that's what I... I mean, to me, that, at this point in my life... I don't need to know that Fleetwood Mac Rumors is a great album right. or that fucking Dark Side of the Moon is a right. top selling record of all time. Give me some shit I never heard of. Like at this point. Totally. That's the fun though of being a music lover and record totally. collectors. Right, like, but I'm saying like, for more. But when we're talking about the importance of lists, like mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about that popular list. I know every album on there. Whether totally. I like the album or I don't, yeah. I pretty you much probably know all hundred of those records. Mm-hmm. I probably own 20% of them and then like I don't want to know that shit I want to know some like African music that I never heard of that sounds you know like a blues record from right. 1950 yeah which, you know, which and, is out there and and like so so for albums like this 
even if it's not a must own, it's a must listen. In my opinion, it's like it's it's going to be one of the ones that's going to stand the test of time. Anybody who picks this up 20, 10, 20, 30 years later, almost 30 years out, they're going to find something on here Mm -hmm. that still speaks to them. That doesn't even matter what, you know, like some of those like like the feeling groovies and the some of those like bubblegum songs from the 60s and the 50s. We are old enough to like have that mean something, but if you play it to a kid today, dude, they're not going to even think it's music. They don't give a shit. <laughs> they're going to be like, "What is that? What was why this for?" Why is it? Why isn't there no digitized anything on there? Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, which I think is fascinating at some point that that's how music is now. Like, there's instruments that they probably don't even like. There's instruments then that maybe even use now, but we don't hear them and now it's all computers making music which is fucking crazy to me that that's how we make music now right like you and I can put out an album in this room right here and produce it ourselves and in Spotify we'll have it in a week Mm -hmm. like that's fucking insane and it took months years to put out an album and money and now it's like no bro I can just do this yeah like studio with tape and plugins and on these yeah that's, laptops, just, that's like a little kid, like fucking that's, you know, 10 years old that's been eating chicken sandwiches that's never even seen a live chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do you think Perfect. that is? Oh, man, I love never that. That was so good. Live chicken. <laughs> All right. So we're going we're gonna to get to the rating in this record. All right. So it's your favorite. So I'm going to give you're going to be last. All right. Fair. <laughs> you get to go first. Um, I'm actually. I'll probably give this a spin with some headphones pretty soon, maybe this weekend, uh, just because we talked about it so much and being that I've never even heard it in its entirety. But when I listened to a little bit of it today, like I think maybe there's probably only like two songs that I've never heard because pretty much know everything else. But um, I would say I'd give it a solid eight just for everything that I... Like, it's relevance, you know, um, even down to, like, the cover art. Like, I think that it's it's just, um, I don't want to say iconic, but it's like, it's, it just does it just makes me, it's one of those albums where it just, it makes me think of a certain time and a feel, and um, that isn't easy to do, especially when like it's with artwork that like matches what the music is to that degree. Because I I think aesthetically that's how, like I'm that type of record collector. Um, I want the whole fucking package. Yeah, you yeah. Know? it's all gotta make sense. Because then that shows that whoever was behind that gave that much of a shit about yeah. about it. So then they care that much about their music, their art, their band. You know, it's not just fucking it's not the monkeys. <laughs> Hey, hey, with the monkeys. Yep. I used to watch the monkeys. The cartoon? No, like the show. At the zoo? Oh, shit. That I was, did too. I was, was like, was it a cartoon? No, it was it right. Was it was a live action show. Um, Damn world. Is that your, that's <laughs> eight. your, that's your eight? Mm-hmm. Man, that's high. Mm-hmm. It's higher than I would expect from you. I gave Nirvana like a nine or... Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. It's important. I mean, you can't. That's I, what I it is. I, guess, I don't want to be influenced by your number because in my <laughs> head, I was saying, and maybe it's not fair, but I was going to say like a six. And, and for my own reasons, it's a six. 
I don't like the sequencing in this record. Mm. <laughs> like, I like, and like, and like, I'm putting myself back at the as the I was 22 when this came out. I was almost 23, and I'm going back to being that 22 year old and feeling the way that I felt. I I bought it. I bought the record. Or I bought the CD or stole it from my work or whatever. I don't know. And I listened to it, and I only listened to the songs that sounded like sort Gish. of sort of sound mm-hmm. like Gish, but it didn't match up. It didn't live up to Gish for me during that period in time. Mm-hmm. So like what I was listening for, and then all these like like the slow songs just really threw me off. Like I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for the bedroom pop, mm-hmm. you know aspect of it i wasn't ready for it's totally fair. the emotional stuff about yeah. it and like and i'm not saying that i was like this cold-hearted motherfucker but i was just like yeah just, you were i was just <laughs> i was just 22 it wasn't my life yeah. like no totally and and i you know i think i don't want I, I could look it up but i think fishbone one of the fishbone albums came out around the same time i want to say that like the sunless saturday album reality mass surroundings didn't it come out around the same time 90 two i think yeah well so it's like a close year. enough and it's like there was still really aggro stuff happening yeah you know and so like the the stuff that was on like the today song like you just that that fucking video was just everywhere you couldn't get away from it it almost 100%. was it almost was like annoying do you know billy corgan fucking hated that video <laughs> were they in the ice cream truck yeah so okay yeah the only thing he told the producer of that video was like Hey man, make me the fucking ice cream <laughs> truck driver. driver seller. Like I'm the ice cream man. Yeah. That's all he said. Just make me the ice cream man. And he was like, okay, cool. I can make that happen. But I guess Billy Corgan hated the fucking video when it was made. He's like, dude, why is it such a love fucking orgy? Fa-? Like Woodstock <laughs> kind of like love me, dubby. Yeah. He's like, that's not what I was trying to get across. And he's like, well, that's what I put out. So I guess he like got an argument with him and he's like, well, fuck you too. And he put it out in anyways, and then, but he, <laughs> Billy Corgan apparently hates that video. I mean, I'm with you, Billy, because I hate it too. Like, <laughs> it, I but, guess it was supposed to be kind of like that, and then it just went fucking lovey dovey, oh, and then Billy oh, okay. was like, "What the fuck, man? It's supposed to be good, but not like that level, right? Like not cheesy. Love like, me." I think during that time, I was annoyed by a lot of things. Like, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that was annoying <laughs> because it was, you know, MTV was what ten years old at this point. They were just nine saturating everything, man. And like, I discovered a lot of music because of it. did. But whenever it was a song like this, they saturated the shit. It was out like of it. Over, overplayed, over, over. Like what radio well, does. Now. November Rain, dude. Remember when that shit came out? Well, was it the, the Guns, Guns N' Roses? Roses the like I love that rain. fucking album. <laughs> well, I love Appetite for Destruction, but then Usually Illusion One and Two came out. And I was like, fuck yeah, double album. And then November Rain came out, and then they just played it so much that I hated that song. Is that the one with Elton John? Are you serious? Elton John's in that song? That's something I didn't even know. Oh, no, no, no. He performed it with Elton John at an awards ceremony. He wasn't on it, but it sounds like an Elton John song. But I was just like, fuck you for ruining this (laughs) this great album for me. And yeah, that's what they did. They were good at it. And I think... Had MTV not been so formulaic at this point, if they mixed up a couple of these things, I probably would give this album less flack. Yeah. 
know what I mean? Because there wasn't any videos for Gish that I remember. Yeah, for sure. I don't remember any videos for that. Do you remember? There's one. I don't really watch it. Rhinoceros. Rhinoceros? That's it. That was their only single. So, so like, you know, the songs that I like on here, they stand up. They're really great songs. I mean, and like... Even though I put "Sweet Sweet" on three different seasons, it's only a minute and thirty-eight <laughs> seconds. Like, no, it's it's just like a it's, it's an interlude. interlude. Yeah, it's, like it's an not interlude. even really a real track. And and so because what I was looking for, what I wanted, like the twenty-two-year-old person of me would be like, okay, this is a six. Now that I'm older and that I have a little bit more thought process to what this is, and it's. It makes sense that, like what you're saying, it's a headphone album. It's not a vinyl listening record. And, like, the sequencing makes sense. The, like, the opening of Cherub Rock and, like, how it just lulls you into, like, get ready for what like, this is going to be. Get ready what's coming. So I would say in... I would, I would bump it up to a seven. That's fair. And because of the fact that it's influenced genres of music after, I'd say, like, a good solid seven and a half. Yeah. And... And I, that's it. You're right there. You <laughs> gave it an eight, so you're right there. You went from a six almost to an eight. It's, I love it. In like 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, ask my, ask my wife, my brother, it was the album that made Briar who he is. Like, this album had not only the time that I was going through, I was going through, I mean, come on, I was a high school kid going through a breakup, right? Boo hoo. But it really was that fucking album for me, man. And, like, you nailed it earlier, like, these guys were just dudes. Like, the girl was just some random girl. The dudes were just some random dudes. They didn't look like band guys. And they were making this amazing emo, which wasn't even a term then, like, sobby, saturated, feel, my heartbreak music. And I used to literally put that album on to go to sleep Mm. every night in 1993 and then to 1994, my senior year. Like, that was what I fell asleep to. And you'd be like, that's a fucking heavy album. But it was so melty, kind of saturated guitar. And even the sad points in Soma and Mayonnaise were so good that it was good enough for me to fall asleep to. How do you fucking fall asleep with that with headphones on? But I did. And that album kind of made me get to the next level of my life, to a 19, 20-year-old, and be like, nah, man, this is who I want to be. And then it started kind of sculpting out the mu- more music that I was getting more into. It, it kind of exposed me out of my punk. That was just a punk metal kid. That's what I was into. It was post-punk. And then when that shit died, and I was really young, and I was into like that at like 10 years old. And when I got into like metal, my, the albums that I was listening to were like Appetite for Destruction and Justice for All and like Helmet and Rollins Band. And like then you throw, sprinkle in some Cure. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? And then some Smiths. But then this album came out. I'm like, dude, this doesn't sound like any of that. This doesn't sound like anything. Never mind, it had just come out. So it was the only thing out there. And then grunge came and just a wave of that music came with it. And after that wave came and went, and after the storm, and then all, everything turned into Scott Punk and then Pop Punk. And then just everything turned into the 2000s and whatever, the strokes and everything. It still lived up for me. It was just like, it doesn't fucking matter, man. All those albums that came out, they're still the one that stands up for me. Mm-hmm. There was something about it for me that just so good, so good, so good. Nah, this is still my favorite. Gotcha. So you you're know? saying 10. I'm saying a 10. A 10. For me personally. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think anybody would ever put it as a 10. Cause, but it's more... Not just what it did for my life, but a personality, but 
the era that I got to listen. If I listened to maybe as a 22, 23, or even a 10-year-old, it wouldn't be a 10. Right. There might have been something different about it. You were like the perfect incubation of 100%. age. Totally. And exactly. And experience. It couldn't have been yeah. any more perfect. Yeah. If it would have been another album, if it would have been The Cure or even, you know, Pearl Jam's third album, Vitology, which is great. I know you guys like didn't like it, but like, but like, let's just say that was the album. No, it no, just, it's not that we didn't like it. He just hates <laughs> Eddie Vedder. And I, I can't understand what the fuck he's saying either, by the way. I, I don't know. What are you saying, bro? Just say I, it out loud. Just, just love, speak it to the mic. I love. But Rumble I do Land. love Pearl Jam. I love the second. Old. I love the second and the like third just, record. He just woke up. But he's right. The second record? He's right. And the third record? Phytology was incredible. I love those records. The first one I still can't listen to. There's I'm about to take ten. your word for it. When when <laughs> when Mark's car got stolen and that CD was in there, I was like, that's good. Now we don't have, have so to listen different. to that CD no <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, so it just, I think it was... Basically, a culmination of all those things, like era that I was in, age that I was in, where I was in my life. And I never heard anything like that. At least one other album had been kind of like that, never mind. But that's it. Right. And Which, to say that one other album And they're was almost that, related. Yeah. And they're the same fucking producer. Yeah. They're, and they're, they're only like a year and a half apart. They're closely related. And, and I, I mean... I'm a bigger fan of Nevermind, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not detracting from the fact that I did like this yeah. band at the yeah. time. Like I yeah, went to go sure. see. I went to their show. Yeah, you were there at the same show. Yeah, like I went. I sought out to go to see them live. So I wasn't like, I wasn't like mediocre about them. I was like, I really, really loved the first record, and I went to go see them live. So let's go see it because I wanted to see that first record and them, see what they any have songs that they yeah, played. Yeah, for sure. You know, and like Tristessa and Rhinoceros were played live, and I'm like, that's. That That's satisfied it. my trip totally. to go, you know? Yep. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, there. Nasty Pumpkin, Siamese Dream, done. Uh, we're gonna yeah, have, thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah, man. Really, thank you guys. This has really, uh, been awesome, um, man. Thank you so much. I loved it. We, I wasn't sure how the dynamic is going right. to be with adding another person. It actually went pretty well. Um, thanks for coming. And we're going to have Kings and Leon, uh, <laughs> a special <laughs> yeah, guest. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bring... We're gonna make all Pat's favorites on and just just You should you guys should have a podcast of all the shit you don't like. <laughs> I think those already exist. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what we're that's trying true. to do is too to make it like uh, Nah, you're right. You don't want a lot of bitterness. Make it the like, stuff that shit. we do like. There's too but many, we'll yeah. still talk trash. There's too many of the people yeah, that, trash is always good. Yeah. I think there's yeah, there's too many people yeah, that just, nah, you're right. Angst is too hate. much out there. We don't need any more hate out there. I think there. this is the first one that we did. Well, not anymore, but <laughs> I mentioned Kiss every single time. I did notice that, by the way. This I didn't on this reference. one, but I just did. So there, there you go. It's there. No, you did mention Kiss. <laughs> no. No, he didn't. Earlier. That's the first mention. And now you mentioned them. Now yeah. it's in there. If anybody's still listening. Because I'm hopeless. I'm, hope, I'm a hopeless <laughs> Kiss fanatic. And you know what? Last, last hmm. second. Uh, I went, accidentally ran into the Kiss golf course in a Vegas casino last oh, year. Oh, I heard about it, yeah. Fucking cool, man! Is it? So I was kind of. I was like, like a three. That's, that's what sucks me in, dude. I was a three Kiss fan, and after playing golf and drinking a lot of beer and hanging out and listening to, they only play Kiss music for the entire time. I was there for two hours. I went up to a seven, man. Where is this? It's. I don't even remember what casino. Oh, Rio. Oh, it's in Vegas. They have yeah. a indoor golf course 
all Kiss music and Kiss themed. Pretty I fucking dope. Do it was fucking dope, man. Yeah, I was a three, now I'm a seven, dude. Just because that I'm you should go to, do I'm, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate myself every <laughs> second. You should get Kiss golf knickers with the socks and the little, oh yeah, a little hat with a fuzzy ball Nailed on it. top. Nailed it. Oh, you know what? I forgot to put up our when we did the Van Halen one. Um, the guitar that Eddie Van Halen has on uh, Women and Children First, Dimebag Daryl was buried with that in a Kiss coffin. What? Really? Yep. He had that guitar. Because he said that that was his favorite Eddie Van Halen guitar, and he was a Kiss fan. Whoa. So he was buried That's with crazy. that That's crazy. In a Shit. Kiss coffin. That's really crazy. Damn. Okay. I don't have anything to be buried with. That's like <laughs> well, this guy is such a Kiss fan. He has Kiss rubber duckies. That's... I, I heard you mention that in a Where are they? I gave them away. To who? To a friend of mine that gave me Kiss books. It's always so kiss trade. Is that a fair trade? I'm all, I've always traded kisses. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I On go. that note. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.